0: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brady. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful with sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are you got legal on this? I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. We're live on a Thursday afternoon previewing all of the week six NFL action. You ready to go, Sam? Yeah, let's go. Of course, tonight, Washington Commanders and the Chicago Bears. We have that preview already done. We did that yesterday. So if you want your... I know everybody wants this. The people have been asking for the Commanders-Bears preview. Where is it? Mm. It's on yesterday's show with Robert Mays from The Athletic. Uh, Bears fan, great insight on the Bears, so we discussed that, amongst other things, on the Wednesday show. Make sure you hit up the Wednesday show.
1: Yeah, but for the record, we both took Washington.
0: That was Uh, before I knew Carson Wentz had biceps tendonitis. Yeah, Um, Robert didn't. Robert chose the Bears, right? Yes. So we we differed from our guests. We did. Bears getting one was the line that we used at the time. I don't know where it is now. I forgot. I'm going to have to go through and check. You have to go and update update where we are. That's still the same. So, uh, great week of action in the NFL. We have three games of the week, one including the Giants as a quick giveaway. You've given in. So, let's get right to it. Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's your four twenty-five game. It's your Romo game. What? It's your Romo game this Sunday. Okay. We got the Chiefs getting three. What is happening here? That can't be right. I
1: I believe it's right. Patrick Mahomes Chiefs as home underdogs here. I'm scrolling. Let's assume it's right until I get to that game in the app, the PFF app, which you should download and see the odds yourself.
0: All right, quickly becoming one of the best rivalries in the NFL. We saw last year the Bills did take it to the Chiefs in Kansas City during the regular season, and uh, they've never played in Buffalo, right? You get this weird stretch sometimes where all the games are in the same place, right? It was in Kansas City last year, regular season. Buffalo took it to them on Sunday night football. But then in the playoffs, we had one of the most epic playoff games of all time, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, the Gabriel Davis as Jerry Rice game, the twelve <laughs> seconds we we're going to kick it off and you know put it into the end zone game, all of that stuff. Uh, Kansas City comes out on top in the division around last year, so um, this is it. This is when the schedule comes out pegged as one of the games of the year. What's fascinating to me is Vegas giving the Bills. We're favoring the Bills by three. Yeah, means if this was in Buffalo, it would be five or six. Is that what we're looking at here? Uh, Vegas believes Buffalo is a much better team than the Chiefs. Ben says they played Buffalo in the COVID year. In 2020? Live fact check. They played in Buffalo? Apparently.
1: Also, I mean, there was empty stadiums, right? Yeah. Does it count? Doesn't, that doesn't count. Yeah. Did they? Re- I don't even remember that. I'm ben says so, and Ben's our live fact
0: check. No, they played in the AFC Championship in Kansas City that year, right?
1: Was that 2020? Look, I relay the fact checking. I don't do independent fact checking of the fact checking. Like the facts have been
0: checked and you've been checked oh good for them so anyway we're back to Kansas City this year what just kicking some stuff okay it's fine
1: what are you looking for in this game Sam well I mean let's this is one of the most eagerly anticipated regular season matchups for years I mean okay we just saw the tail end of last year in the playoffs what this game can be you know one of the best games in the NFL for years, a back and forth between two quarterbacks playing at the peak of their powers. Everybody's takeaway from that game was essentially if you don't have a superhuman freak at quarterback, go home now. Like, forget it. You don't have a shot because look at what these two guys are doing to shred these defenses and put up a ton of points and answer what the previous guy just did in the drive. Like, incredible. um And they're starting this season looking like two of the best teams in the league again. So, just the excitement level i think is off the charts buffalo having come up 13 seconds short last season added you know got better in the offseason von miller they now have arguably the best pass rush in the nfl that i think has the potential to be a difference maker against kansas city and to me that's the the key to this game all of a sudden the bills have really enhanced their front four they have maybe the best group in the league all of a sudden The Chiefs' offensive line is still really good, but Orlando Brown hasn't been playing well. The other side, you've got Andrew Wiley. Like They're a good offensive line, but you look individually, they don't match up well with Buffalo's defensive
0: line, and that could be an issue. I remember the game now. Thank you, Ben. The live fact checker also sending me the box score of the game in PFF Ultimate. It was the too high game, right? It was the game where the Bills, they're at home, and we didn't know much. We didn't know that the Bills were good at that point we didn't know that Josh Allen was actually that good at that point it was week six of the 2020 season and the Bills continued to just dare the Chiefs to run and they did uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire went off for over 150 yards so that's that was that was when we did actually see them in Buffalo and the Bills got away with some of that last year as well the tied two high looks early you know the, the first matchup Mahomes did not look good the Chiefs offense did not look good and yeah, so you're talking about the Bills pass rush here against what the Chiefs can do. Yeah. that's that. I mean, we'll get to Dallas and Philly, but this is the two best games of this week on paper are the two games where it is incredible defensive line, incredible pass rush against really good offensive line, right? Really good. You know, Orlando Brown is solid, but you do have those games against really good players where he can struggle. We saw the Raiders early in the game do a nice job pressuring Patrick Mahomes. Max Crosby coming off the edge, they they made a few plays. It's tough to do it consistently, though. And Mahomes is one of the best at sack avoidance, right? Doesn't mean he always finds positive plays, but he is good at not taking those negative plays. He's good at least getting out of the pocket, maneuvering the pocket, and making something happen, or at least avoiding those negative plays. So I think the Bills are going to need some of those. They're going to have to get him to the ground a few times.
1: Yeah, I mean, so... <laughs> teams have been stuck in this conundrum of how do you defend Patrick Mahomes? Do you blitz? Do you stay back in coverage? You probably need to mix it up. And it's like a catch-22, and I think that there's a real struggle for most teams to figure out exactly what the approach should be. But generally speaking teams sit back in coverage the bills do that more than anybody else in the nfl they've got the lowest blitz rate in the league they rely on getting pressure in th- with that front four the front four is getting pressure at the third or fourth highest rate in the league it's working so they're sort of naturally set up for the game plan that the chiefs don't like playing against relatively speaking um, the issue is potentially that Buffalo's secondary is still pretty wrecked. Micah Hyde is done for the year. Um, We still don't have Tredavious White back. They're down to the bare bones in that secondary. This is a good scheme for patching that up, for hiding those weaknesses, but your game plan is essentially setting up to give Mahomes some time to target your weaknesses, you know, and hoping that it doesn't get exposed. Now, the fact that they have the front four is huge because it means that he won't necessarily have the time to do that, but... That's the potential flip side of that coin is, look, if Buffalo can put them under pressure with that front four, it's a great place to be. But if they can't, or if they can't do it enough, there are weak links in that secondary in a way that there didn't really used to be that Mahomes can go
0: after. Even if the Chiefs' pass blocking grade is down a little bit, I know people always remember the Mahomes-Bucks Super Bowl where he was under pressure or he was, you know, didn't have a receiving option so he would leave, a, uh, leave the clean pocket, whatever it is. The Chiefs have enough quick hitters, enough quick passing game to protect Mahomes if he takes them. And then it becomes a tackling game. And there are times McDermott's defense, Leslie Frazier's defense through the years with the Buffalo Bills, they have, they've been very good overall, but they've missed a lot of tackles as well. Like this is one of those games where if the Chiefs keep hitting the underneath stuff, it's Kelsey for five and, um, you know, Juju and all these guys underneath bills have to tackle right now number just tackling grade on pff.com buffalo bills are 10th that's better than they've been in previous years but you're right i think i think the secondary of the bills even though they're getting it done this year that does concern me and the bills have the and so they just beat the ravens a couple weeks ago down 17 but they've had this trend of losing close games and blowing out or blowing out teams the bills does that matter going into this one? Presumably it's going to be... I know they blew out the Chiefs in the in the regular season last year. But does that matter that it's probably going to be a close game? The Bills have been better just, you know, blowing the doors off the Steelers last week or the Jets last year who, or the, the Texans last year, 40 to nothing. Does it matter that the Bills in close games have been, you know, not nearly as good as those games where they just dominate from start to finish?
1: No, right. I don't think so. I don't... I, I don't really think there's necessarily anything to that. I mean, yes, they have a bad record in close games in recent seasons. On the other hand, they haven't been in that many close games in recent seasons because they generally tend to go and smack teams silly and win, you know, from the front. So are we, is this a, an inherent problem with something they're doing or is this they've just caught the bad end of a bunch of those close games where by definition, one play here or there is going to determine the outcome? I tend to think, the latter, I don't see any reason why they they're not winning these games. Like, you know, you you'd say there's sort of something generally to the idea of quarterback wins, much as we mock that as a stat, right? But you look at some of those close games, and Josh Allen has actually done his part. You know what I mean? So if there's if there was something to that idea of oh, in close games, it just doesn't quite come come true, and they you know Josh Allen doesn't have it. Josh Allen isn't that winner. He doesn't have the X factor. He's not Tom Brady. So in the close game. He doesn't find the way to win. But, like, he's actually done his part in a lot of the close wins, and then the defense has fallen apart for a drive, and he doesn't get the the win that he earned. You know what I mean? So, and equally, I don't think the defense is somehow exposed above and beyond in those close games. I really think that that's just a run of
0: those. All right, a little confirmation about the way the Chiefs have been forced to play the Bills. Uh, Since 2020, played each other a few times. Patrick Mahomes' average depth of target is 6 I mean, that's, that's the lowest in the league. If, if you projected that for a season, it's the lowest in the league. Now, Mahomes has already been throwing the ball shorter generally over the last few years. Um, he was actually sixth the lowest, I think, in, in ADOT last year for the entire season. So it's been trending this way anyway, but especially against the Bills is the short passing game. I would still love to see, look, Monday night football, the Chiefs had a chance to, to seal the deal. Their offense has been fantastic. They try to hit Nicole Hardman on the the deep over route, doesn't separate, miss the throw, allows the Raiders the comeback opportunity. There's those handful of plays where maybe they miss Tyreek Hill, where remember Tyreek Hill would be like third and one, third and two and it's like put him in the slot, give him an option route, he's done. Like the, whoever he is covering him is done. Yeah. The Chiefs don't have that necessarily. I would still love to see some of those big plays open up. They haven't connected on as many of those downfield passes so just be ready for the quick passing game and probably some run game again for the Chiefs a couple weeks ago they dominated Tampa Bay's up defensive front yeah they should have even more success probably against Buffalo in the run game if they choose that way yeah which they may want to do
1: more of because I think Buffalo's defense is at its strongest in the pass game in particular that pass rush that we talked about you know the best way of neutralizing them is to potentially run at them so we've said this for a while now that the Chiefs have potentially one of the most uh, efficient run games in the league if they just lean into that and say, hey, dominant offensive line, good talent in the backfield, Mahomes uh, distracting defenses generally, run the ball. You know, And they don't, they don't want to do that that much. And, that, and generally, that's, a, that's an approach that we would endorse. But against a team like Buffalo, you might actually want to run the ball
0: more. Is this one of those games where it's just Josh Allen all the time? Because in some of these blowouts, it's been, as I mentioned in the review show, it was it's intriguing to see James Cook bust a 24-yard touchdown and Khalil Shakir making some big plays. Like They added those pieces in the draft to kind of add a little bit more explosiveness. They're trying to, in uh, non-big games, it seems like they'll rely on their running backs a little bit. But in big games, it's like, oh, third and three, QB sweep. It's Josh Allen. Will this be a game where the Bills tap into their depth, or is it all on Allen again? Scrambling, design runs, and of course, the dropback pass game.
1: I mean, I think this offense tends, when you need a big play, give Josh Allen the ball, which makes sense. Not even a big play, a key, important play, you know? And he is a short yardage cheat code, because if you can get him isolated on one player, it almost doesn't matter who that player is, he's going to be able to pick up a couple of yards. So if it's third and one, it, make sure you get Josh Allen somewhere outside of you know the line of scrimmage, and give him some options to work with. And he's probably a better athlete than the guy trying to stop him. You know, if it's a linebacker, he can cut around him, he can jump over him, he can power through him. All he's going to do is get two yards. Like he's maybe the best quarterback in the league right now
0: at getting those plays. Yeah, so. he's always leaping for you know for the first down marker. He's yeah, because he's a not just stuff. big;
1: he's athletic and tough and. You know, runs with the kind of physical intensity of determination. I want this two yards. And this is the, the fascinating thing about football relative to even other tackling sports like rugby, where that one yard is so important. It, just tackling a guy is not good enough sometimes. You got to tackle him and you got to stop him dead on contact. Yeah. It's really hard to stop somebody. In the open field, dead on contact, like being able to get that extra one, two yards, particularly for a guy as, as big as Josh Allen, is actually very difficult to stop. So, get that
0: momentum advantage.
1: Bro. Yeah, like I absolutely endorse, like this is what you're paying him for. Give him, give him that kind of responsibility and embrace the idea that it's probably going to pick you up those first downs. Yeah. Uh,
0: um. We'll wrap up this game in a second. I've seen people make the point. Josh Allen on that um, ninety-eight yarder the other day drops back like nine or ten yards in the pocket. Like he—he's almost dropping back too far as a quarterback is actually risky because it—you it, your offensive line loses their blocking angles, they lose leverage. Josh Allen's almost doing it like when people did it in Madden, and you didn't Just have keep the going
1: backwards until it's open.
0: Yeah, right. It be, but because he has the arm to do it, because yeah. making a throw five to ten yards longer doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's part of the part of what's helping them. Like, the offensive line still isn't great. It's not outstanding up front. So that's where I think Chris Jones, you know, George Karloftis, there's, there's pressure opportunities here for the Chiefs as well, especially with Chris Jones. We saw him with the great strip sack the other day against the right tackle. They will, they'll move him around. Chris Jones is an advantage, I think, whether it's against Roger Saffold, Ryan Bates at guard, whether it's Spencer Brown at right yeah. tackle. So keep an eye on Jones. It, it feels like for the Chiefs, it's got to be the Chris Jones game defensively to take away some of those big plays because I think the Bills, I think the Bills are going to get theirs offensively. You need Chris Jones making some special plays. And on the other side, I think, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs have to, have to hit some of the deep balls. It can't just be... Averaged up the target of six this entire time.
1: And I think that's some that's one of the differences between the Buffalo defense and the Kansas City defense. The Buffalo defense can get pressure with four different guys at least. Yeah. Kansas City, it's kinda like if Chris Jones doesn't show up, we don't really have an awful lot. We're gonna have to blitz, you know, we're gonna have to find pressure somewhere else. We need a big Chris Jones game. And generally he's had them. Like he's doing a great job of carrying this thing almost by himself. But the difference between the two I think is significant that Buffalo has just has more options to bring that pressure
0: all right man kansas city getting three at home against the bills where are you going
1: uh i so i think Buffalo is a better team i think buffalo wins the game but god i'm not picking against kansas city when they're getting three points that's it right i mean that
0: home underdog chiefs yeah i don't want to go through my record What was the last year, time but... that happened it may have been the AFC Championship. I mean, the division around last year. The, game, the last game against the Bills. Yeah. Yeah. The Chiefs were seeded higher, but they're. Do, do we have. A, we don't have history on Green Line, do we? Matchup history? I don't think so. No. Anyway, it's our power ranked number one team against the number two team. Bills number one, Chiefs number two, based off everything we know about them per PFF Green Line over at PFF.com, PFF app. All right. There's a lot of PFFs you squeeze into that. Yeah, yeah, PFF. You got to brand it. I learned from uh-huh. Ross Tucker. Uh huh. Get the branding going. Um, we both picked them. That's it? Yep. All right. Today's podcast is presented by one of our newest sponsors. It's Viore. You're a big Viore fan. I know that. My yeah. buddy Mike, I gave him a shout out the other day. He's a big Viore fan. And I'm a fan of just overall comfort and versatility. That's what they bring to the table, man. Plus, you know, stuff fits me, which is always good. That's a big plus. Get those tall sizes. Me, Randy Johnson. We can rock Fiore. It's designed to look great in everyday life, outside the gym, perfect for any workout or activity. It's just easy. It's easy on the website. It's easy to buy, to purchase, and it's easy to use our promo code because we're giving you 20% off. All you have to do is go to, it's not a promo code. It's actually the site that you go to. Once you go to Fiore.com slash PFF, you go to that site right at the top. It'll say, hey. You get 20% off your first purchase. It's viori.com slash PFF, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash PFF. Tell everybody about your shirt.
1: Yeah, I got a couple of things from them. They have, um, it, what is it, athleisure wear, the term? You know, the sort of stuff that... Athleisure? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. The the stuff that everybody seems to love these days, particularly, you know, millennials and Gen Z, the kind of stretchy fabrics, you know, that... that, that yeah, don't say everything. that with disdain. You no, say no, no. Well, respect. so here's the thing, right? Those people, they love that kind of thing. You know, the stretchy fabrics, everything's, you know, that kind of, th- that stuff. they got a ton of that stuff. But they also have, you know, the, the throwback, uh, the old school fabrics that, that people of our generation appreciate. Yeah, you know, yeah. old-fashioned cotton. You know, yeah. the waffle knit type of uh, it's good.
0: It's good for boomers, too. Yeah, exactly. So,
1: you know, if you like those old school fabrics, actual cotton, they've got a ton of that stuff. And then they've got all that athleisure is that, that that's the correct? Yeah, I think
0: that's what I would, that's how I would
1: They've say. They've got the, the ash, athleisure fabrics that the, uh, the younger generation like too.
0: Yeah, so they weren't lying when they, they, they said versatile. Each. Yeah, they weren't lying when they said versatile. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but you enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 plus free returns. Go to viore.com and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. All right, the other game of the week. Even though it's a six-point spread, wow! Dallas Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles. It's Sunday night football. Eagles favored by six. Battle for first place in the NFC East. Eagles five and zero. Oh. Dallas Cowboys are four and one. Mm-hmm. What are you deleting. What are you deleting over here? I'm moving. I'm
1: adjusting it because we got fewer games. Did you delete week. a game? No, I didn't delete a game. I'm okay, just good. moving
0: the games because we have fewer of them. Good adjustments here. Um, <clears throat> the obvious matchup to watch here is our number number one ranked pass rush number one pass pass rushing grade dallas cowboys against the eagles number one pass blocking grade so something's got to give here dallas has had games where their their pass pass rush last week in particular just took over they took over against the bengals a few weeks back took over against the rams can they do that? Do they, and do they need to do that? Is yes. Dallas's defense completely dependent yeah. on domination up front?
1: Not yet. So Dallas' hope in this game is that pass rush proves to be as good as it's been so far this season. Huge thing for the Eagles is it looks like they're going to get Jordan Mailata back at left tackle. So they're going to have their real offensive line playing in this game, not Jack Driscoll. I mean, Jack Driscoll going up against Micah Parsons is the kind of matchup that would make you go, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) That that swings this in favor of Dallas quite significantly, I would say, but that's not happening. Um, Yeah, Dallas have the the number one pass rush in the NFL, certainly in terms of pressure rate. On the other hand, it is reasonable to look at the offensive lines that they've gone up against so far this season. So, you know, I I tweeted out this graph of kind of pass rush versus – Blitz rate and those kinds of things. The one thing that graph doesn't do is take into account opposition, you know, just the quality of the play. So the Dallas offensive line, or the Dallas pass rush rather, has gone up against a Tampa Bay offensive line. There was a lot of changes in week one. Cincinnati's that's been a mess. Um the Giants, been a mess. Washington, been a mess. The Los Angeles Rams, been a mess. So at least four out of the five offensive lines they've gone up against are bad offensive lines, um, particularly with the personnel that they actually faced. This is by far the toughest test that this Dallas, Dallas defensive line, Dallas pass rush has gone up against. And that I think is probably notable. So yeah, look, Micah Parsons looks like a superstar. DeMarcus Lawrence is a great foil. They've got other players as well. But I'd be shocked if they had the same kind of impact we've seen from them in this game
0: I was looking through some of uh, Micah Parsons one-on-one matchups through the years through I mean two years here the years um guys that had at least 10 matchups so among the tackles and this is why it's interesting right people ask us all the time are you adjusting for competition are you adjusting and it's like it's a it's a tricky thing in the NFL to do that at, at the play level but the guy according to our data that's had the most success against Micah Parsons Andre Dillard the backup tackle for the Eagles how many snaps? Fourteen. Okay. So that was last year. Obviously, the guy who's gotten beaten the most, Storm Norton, forty-one percent uh, win rate for Micah Parsons. And you know, for perspective, there a one-on-one win rate. You would probably expect a good player to win twenty-five, probably. Yeah. I'd say. Um, so you've got Micah Parsons dominating guys like Storm Norton, uh, Rob Havenstein last week against the Rams, Brandon Parker of the Raiders, and he actually has. Only 10 matchups one-on-one against Lane Johnson with uh, with three wins in there against Lane Johnson. So pretty good success against Lane Johnson in a small sample size, but randomly not good success against Andre Dillard on the other side. Um, so yeah, that will be that will be interesting matchups. Charles Leno, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago too, also had very good success on a, the biggest sample size, actually, one of the biggest sample sizes. So um, anyway, Micah Parsons versus Lane Johnson on one side, Mylata on the other side, as you mentioned, uh, and also Dallas stunting a lot. They're doing a lot of yeah. movement up front, and they're doing a lot to to free guys up. This is a big why- reason why we did the explain the grade yesterday. Yesterday on Osa Odigizua, how he had seven pressures. The entire defensive line is benefiting from Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, and it it's not just Micah, right? But those other guys are starting to win. But they're also making some cleanup plays and getting in there. So this matchup is going to be awesome, man.
1: Yeah, Dallas leads the league in stunt rate. I guess you know the percentage of defensive uh, snaps with a stunt. They're by, they're like fifty percent. They're yeah. by far the the most aggressive team in the league in terms of dialing up plays with with a stunt, with some kind of exchange of rush lanes. Um, they also they're right up there in um, like disguise coverages. You know, rotating safeties pre and post snap, showing you something different before and after the snap. So, Dan Quinn deserves a ton of credit. Like, last year, a lot of it was sort of like, okay, Dan Quinn's done a great job. This defense taking taken a huge leap forward. But how much of it is like you accidentally stumbled into Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs has 11 interceptions, you know? Yep. And how much does Dan Quinn actually deserve credit for this? This year, I think you can make a much better argument that actually, okay, he still has Micah Parsons, who it turns out is even better than he, he may have seen last year. Trayvon Diggs is playing well, even if the interception numbers aren't as well exactly as you predicted. But he's adding a ton of value by picking up all the cheap easy wins and by adding confusion. So yeah. you got elite playmakers at, up front and, and on the back end, and now we're going to make your life more difficult by stunting all the time and making it complex and disguising pre- and post-snap and all those kinds of things. I think every defense in the NFL should be doing a decent amount of both of those things because it's just... Yeah. It's a free way. it's like play action. It's the defensive equivalent of play action, which is it just works. It's
0: easier. Like use it. It's a cheat button. <clears throat> I don't I don't know what the process was in the building in Dallas, but those are the types of conversations that we would have and be like, "Look, the data just says if you stunt, you're going to get more pressure. The data says if you disguise coverage, it's not a it's not really a cheat code, but it increases variance." And some good quarterbacks are confused by it a little bit more than they normally would be. It does feel like Dan sat down and said, you know, whether it was analytics people or whoever in that building and said, you know, it took some advice. Right. I mean, because if you're doing those two things at a much higher rate, this is Dan Quinn, who came from, as we've mentioned a million times, the Seattle scheme that doesn't disguise at all. They'd run stunts, but they didn't blitz. Right. But it was just we're going to play cover three, cover one. It's what we do. He has absolutely changed a ton whether it's personnel-driven or somewhat numbers-based, whatever it is, again, credit Dan Quinn for what he's done with this defense.
1: Yeah, and it's another one of those things where does there become a point of diminishing returns? Almost certainly. But do you know where that is? No. Well, then find it. You know what I mean? The yep. data right now says do more of these things. And obviously, at some point, there will be a an area of diminishing returns. But if you don't know where that line is yet, push it beyond that line until you find out where it is because that's where... Like, that's the important line to know,
0: not where you are right now, because evidently you should be doing more of it. One of the things to be careful of when you're stunting is against mobile quarterbacks, right? So um, one of the broadcasts mentioned this really well the other day, too. And you just, you see it when you watch it, you can see quarterbacks, when they see the edge crash, they're like, wait a second, if the edge is going to crash, that means all of a sudden a big 300 pounder is now your edge defender, basically, on a stunt. He's now setting the edge. And when Jalen Hurts is in the pocket, him getting outside the edge on a defensive tackle is pretty easy. So there could be, you know, the stunting can be negated by, not not, not that every stunt is built the same, but yeah. by, by Hurts maneuvering the pocket. So also, I mean, this is
1: something I haven't looked at and we I maybe should at some point, but the type of stunt you're running might be really important for those types of quarterbacks you're dealing with. Like maybe you want to run more... Uh, Et stunts than te, you know, where the the defensive end is the guy crashing in first, and then the defensive tackle is the guy looping out into space. If you do it the other way, the defensive tackle is actually plowing his way onto the inside of the tackle and potentially trapping himself inside, letting right. letting a rushing quarterback get outside of him and make up a big play. So that would actually be a really interesting thing to look and see if there is some kind of correlation between the specific type of stunt you're running and the danger that has to being wrecked for a big play by a mobile quarterback
0: oh man all right Cooper Rush is the quarterback still presumably for the Cowboys we all agree Dak Prescott's the better quarterback he's the option for the Cowboys if Dak is the quarterback this spreads three I mean that just right off the bat it's probably Philly by three at home don't you think 6 would, feels 6 feels strong.
1: Yeah, I would hope that Dak Prescott is worth at least 3 points to the line versus Cooper Rush.
0: Yeah, and but look, I think Cooper Rush has played fine. I think he's done some really nice things. Clearly that offense is limited with what they can do. Last week they didn't do a whole lot. They didn't need to, but they didn't do a whole lot. You break off a big run by Tony Pollard, you've got a defensive touchdown in there. Dak makes this team better. Yeah. 6 still feels strong, but if Philly's able to negate the Cowboys biggest strength the yeah. pass rush Philly's the team that has the multiple ways to win Jalen Hurts as a runner as a passer you still have to cover A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard somewhere along the lines I think the Eagles have more answers yeah like that's what this boils
1: down to to me that you can you can stop a couple of things for Philadelphia and they've got a couple more you stop a couple of things for Dallas you win that I mean that's basically a As simple as you can make it. I think Philadelphia just has more options once they once you get to plan B and
0: C. All right, give me the Eagles. Same. Is that it? Yeah. To cover the six. Yeah. it's a lot of points, but I'm I'm there. All right, the other game of the week per you. Baltimore Ravens at the New York Giants. For me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So look, I just want to make the point right up top people are giving me all kinds of crap because I'm hating on the Giants you know I thought I said they were the worst three in one team ever I think they're one of the worst four and one teams ever and people are like I oh, hate hating the Giants they're not the only one I mean Vegas the only, thinks yeah. the Giants suck yes they're six point underdogs at home
0: look I want to give them credit for what they've done I try to throw out credit Dable and Barkley and the they will be better and wink and all that stuff credit, They have right?
1: already overachieved what I thought they would do. So they're yes. better than I thought they were. They're still not good.
0: Any type of numbers-based analysis which in, of which Vegas is, right? That's what Vegas does. PFF, Massey ratings, anyone else, is not going to love the Giants. Because before the Packers, it was who they beat, really. But it's also how you beat them, right? What things are you doing that are sustainable? The most sustainable, su- sustainable things in the NFL are efficient passing offenses, Right, you don't have that yet, so of course people are gonna hate the Giants. You are not what your record is, as Parcells said, famous Giants coach. But we can still give credit. You know, good job getting to four and one. Now, if the Giants pull this off, <laughs> <laughs> this is like the tight again. Where do I'm we go? Last time, this the Titans
1: all last season were winning games that you didn't think they would win, and then ultimately unspooled in the playoffs.
0: But even there, the Titans had. An AFC championship two years earlier, uh, appearance two yeah. years earlier, right? In 2020, 19, whatever it was. They've, been, they've made it to the AFC championship. They were a playoff team. They, they had good players who had done it before, right? The Giants are like, hey, Richie James, you're a thing now. You know, not that that's, I mean, that's okay. Like, again, credit where credit is due. They're They're piecing it together and they're winning football games. But the Titans at least had this history. And Mike Vrabel had this history. We don't really know what Brian Dable is other than, hey, really good start here.
1: Yeah, look, Brian Dable, I think, is doing a great job. And they are scheming up a bunch of plays for that offense. And they kind of need to because the talent just isn't there beyond Saquon Barkley. Like, that group of receivers still isn't good. When they find a good receiver briefly, that guy gets injured and they don't have him for any period of time. Daniel Jones has become a very strange quarterback to me. Early in his career, the Danny Dimes thing. He made a bunch of big plays down the field. His first two years, he had over 20 big-time throws at a rate of 4.1%, which is pretty healthy, and 5.0% in year two, which is really good. The last two seasons, it's been under 2%, which is terrible. Like, Tua was the lowest big-time throw rate in the NFL at 2.7 or something. So 1.8 and then 1.4 is abysmal. The big plays... The big throws from Daniel Jones have just disappeared. They're just not there. And okay, that's absolutely affected by the fact that his offensive line is garbage and his receivers aren't very good. But you got to take a few more chances, you know? Like, just put it in the air. Like, his average at the target is under... It's been under seven every single week of the season. The I last mean, time. for this year, though, like, to who? But
0: Darius, that's what like Darius Slayton point, is a nice... Deep threat and everything,
1: but at some point, just put it in the air. Darius Slayton is a good deep threat. Kenny Galladay made a career out of winning contested catches. When Matthew Stafford just went YOLO, like throw throw the ball, see what happens. What's the worst that could happen?
0: Just just chuck it up. Yeah, you're right. He is. I mean, he is capable. I mean, you're you're speaking my language as far as how I described Derek Carr and Matthew Stafford. The years that they made him conservative and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. I think this is a different team, though. This isn't going to be like Derek. The, the Raiders with Derek Carr, they need him to play well to succeed. Just like the the Lions needed Matthew Stafford to play well. So I'm like, hey, extract big plays out of him. I'm not saying the Giants don't need Daniel Jones, but they're clearly trying to build this offense through Barkley and creating big plays in the run game and mismatches and using Daniel Jones as a runner, which he's done a ton. That's That's one of those underrated parts. I think that is something that doesn't always feel good. It doesn't it doesn't always look attractive, but quarterback running in general, like we've talked about a lot, it raises the floor of the offense. If Daniel Jones is picking up yards on the ground, the same thing Jalen Hurts adds to the Eagles or when Taysom Hill was the starter for the Saints, Daniel Jones is kind of adding elements to that right now, which is why you don't get a lot of the advanced metrics or grades or whatever it is that say, Hey, this team's doing great. But if you keep stealing yards on the ground, there is an advantage to be had there. Sure. All right, here's the matchup to watch. Wink. Wink Martindale's on the other side here. Wink revenge game. Wink revenge game. So he's the defensive coordinator for the Giants. Likes to blitz like crazy. Likes to zero blitz and the whole thing. We've got the zero blitz narrative against Lamar Jackson. And I got some numbers here.
1: Oh, yeah? So
0: a couple weeks ago against the Dolphins, we were like, hey, they figured out the zero blitz. They had, and there are elements there. So I'm just going to look at the passing grades. But Lamar had, that was when he had the 70-yard Touchdown run. He had the really long touchdown run against the Dolphins. There was also a 75 yard touchdown to Rashad Bateman. Hit a little slant. Bateman took it to the house. This year is fascinating because Lamar still does not have a good grade against zero blitz. So over the last three years, 2020, and for our listeners, zero blitz is when you blitz and leave basically five coverage defenders to play one on one against the five eligible receivers, right? So you're blitzing everybody, essentially. Lamar Jackson passing grades against Zero blitzes. 2020, 37. 2021, 46. 2022, 42. It's still bad this year. His actual passing grade. Now this year, technically by the numbers, he's 11 of 18 for a buck 57 and four touchdowns. The stats look really good. So, and the passer rating is like 129. So there's two ways of looking at this. The Ravens as a team are creating efficient plays here. One of them was a 75-yard touchdown to Bateman, right? That was mostly Bateman doing the work. You know, good throw by Lamar. Bateman does the work. Two shovel pass touchdowns in there. And one, the, the touchdown to Mark Andrews against the Patriots, which is essentially kind of an underthrown jump ball where Mark Andrews does all the work. So here's my point. When you're game planning, you're game planning against the team. But if you are trying to say, how do I make life difficult for the opposing quarterback? How do I attack one of their weaknesses? Lamar... As a quarterback, which I would say the zero blitz is a weakness. What the Ravens have done this year, though, having a Bateman and having a Mark Andrews to make plays has helped their efficiency against these coverages. So, all that said, if you're a Wink Martindale, do you end up do you attack Lamar Jackson and the Ravens with the zero blitz? Even though I think offensively they have more answers, although the quarterback still seems to struggle against these coverages. Well, I mean the answer.
1: <laughs> the answer, you know, does Wink Martindale attack is always yes. Well,
0: yeah, the answer is yes. I the, I guess the, the better question is how often.
1: Right. How I, often do we see this? Yeah, like I, I think they do automatically, they are well positioned to attack what is still the weakest thing about Lamar Jackson's game. You know, the, there's always a debate about um, whether or not you should pressure or drop back and play coverage against Mahomes, against Josh Allen. There isn't really that debate with Lamar. I think the answer is yes, you blitz him. You know, maybe he'll... I mean, blitzing is dangerous. doesn't mean it will always work and there'll be big plays in there and sometimes he'll make you pay for it. But the game plan is to blitz him almost like more than most quarterbacks. Um, And as things happen, that's what Wing Martindale likes to do anyway. The Giants are leading the NFL this year in blitz rate. They will absolutely attack and I think that's the right thing to do against Lamar now what it becomes really interesting is whether by virtue of being the defensive coordinator for the Ravens for the last while whether Wink has any extra insight or any extra trickery dialed up specifically for Lamar or if simply the game plan is a natural mesh anyway of we like to blitz he doesn't really like to be blitzed therefore this is a good matchup
0: yeah yeah I want yeah those those matchups always fascinate me because it's like wow these you know they practiced against each other they know everything about each other you know coordinators and the whole thing I have to go back and research this somehow it always felt like offensive coaches facing their former offensive scheme had the real advantage because offensive coaches this was like John Gruden going up against the Bucks I'm sorry John Gruden and the Bucks going up against the Raiders in the Super Bowl this was various times throughout history where it's like the guy that ran the offense last year is now coaching against the offense and he knows all the checks. He knows it inside and out. He knows how to get them into less valuable plays. He knows how they're going to check. How He probably knows the calls. John Gruden actually knew the calls, right? Like that the Raiders were using. They weren't changing anything. So I don't know if Wink Wink's familiarity with the Ravens scheme, is it that big of an advantage compared to like an offensive coach having it? I don't know. But it does make for fascinating football in one of the games of the week here yeah it makes for a great matchup and a good x's and o's battle giants getting six are they good enough to at least keep it close home underdog here six points is a bunch the ravens basically they're they're three they're three and two with their two losses being spectacular collapses dolphins and bills spectacular fashion that they lost so the bill the the Ravens technically have either won or dominated all five games. Right? They won three of them. They dominated three quarters of the other two. So the Ra- are the Ravens actually better than their three and two record? And of course, the Giants we would say are worse than their four and one record.
1: Yeah, I think the Ravens probably are. Well, so the balance to me is that I think. Fundamentally, Wink Martindale's game plan against Lamar Jackson is the correct one and a pretty good matchup and should therefore give the Giants some kind of advantage. The problem is, relative to other teams, basically anybody that Lamar Jackson can target when he's being blitzed is currently got a bad PFF coverage grade, you know? So the Giants are going to run a game plan that will ask DBs in particular to hold up on an island with no help. The DBs in question have coverage grades of 58, 56, 51, 45, 60, 55. Like basically anybody that Lamar could be targeting when he's trying to get away from a blitz has not performed well this season in coverage. So that I think is a like just a really tricky balancing act for Wink and the Giants' defense. Is how the hell do we send the blitz and scheme it up till we get pressure? But don't leave ourselves just hung out to dry on the back end in a way that's going to result in you know, a bunch more of those big plays from Lamar Jackson against the Blitz. I think that's a really difficult balance. And it feels like one of those things that probably goes one of two extremes. You know, Either we're going to see Wink's defense really just throttle a life out of this Baltimore offense and Lamar Jackson's passing attack, or they're going to get carved to pieces for like three big touchdowns and Lamar's going to go off
0: for like 350. Okay, and which, number, which numbers do you use? Because I'm looking at EPA now against cover zero this year. The Ravens are an absurd 0. .75 yeah. EPA per play. Now, again, a Rashad Bateman, huge right. play. A Lamar Jackson, huge play. Do they feel more equipped from a playmaker standpoint to handle it now than they've ever been because of you know who they have, but that's just a tiny sample size and not in line at all with the last two or three years. Of this Ravens offense, so I just can't wait to see that matchup. I want to see Lamar against the blitz, how they handle it. Um, I think I think there's enough there that the Giants keep it close. I don't love it, but I'll take the Giants to cover the six. <sighs> yeah, right. The sigh. Yeah. I think I didn't win many games last week, but I think you didn't help by talking me out of them.
1: The question is kind of like, how many of those big plays would the Ravens need to have to cover this number?
0: I like guess they get. They had two 100. big plays against the Blitz. We're also not going to like legitimately see the Blitz you know, 50 times. Of
1: course not, but we'll see it a lot. I mean, yeah. they're Blitzing basically 50% of snaps generally, yeah. and I suspect that will go up versus Lamar Jackson.
0: Oh, man. I'll take the it's Six. The Giants are feisty. Six at home. They're 4-1. and one. The 4-1 and one Giants getting six. Vegas is disrespecting them. I'll lean into the heel turn. I'm going Baltimore. All right, good. As you all know by now, this season we've been following Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. It's a great way to speculate on sports teams in a long-term stock market-style format. Here's a little mid-season update on how a few teams are performing since week one. We've got the Vikings up over 5% on the week after knocking off the Saints. That was a couple weeks ago, right? Bucks are down over 7% on the week. After their couple losses, they probably bounced back last week. The Broncos, they're down after falling to the Raiders, and they're down even more after falling to the Colts last week. So the big winner, Philadelphia Eagles, are up after their 5-0 and start. So if you liked the Eagles early on, you are cashing out. You can check out the entire market by downloading the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store and use code FOOTBALL to receive a free team stock valued up to $150 upon signing up. It's really a fun market and a great way to speculate on teams that are rising and falling. I love this. You can listen to us, think we're idiots, and go against us. Think we're smart, go with us. And, you know, buy and sell teams. So you download the app, create a free account, enter code FOOTBALL to get a free stock valued up to $150 after signing up. It's Symbol, great way to bet on teams, the stock market for sports. All right. What else do we have for games here? New York Jets at the Green Bay Packers. Just a pair of three and two teams going at it here in week six. Just a pair of three and two teams. Absolutely. Packers by seven and a half. So last week, I thought the Packers would roll in London. Yeah. Against the Giants. Didn't happen. Did not happen. Yeah. That offense... The other New York teams coming in. Last week's spread, by the way, was Green Bay by eight over the Giants. It's seven and a half here against the Jets.
1: Yeah. The... The Green Bay offense is just not in a good place right now. Um, they lead the NFL in RPO rate; those run-pass options by a distance. It's up ten percentage points over a year ago.
0: They are now those, though. The way we track it, are a lot of just Aaron Rodgers throwing bubble screens off that.
1: Yeah, but I, they're also, I think, specifically trying to scheme up plays because they don't have any receivers. Like Aaron Rodgers understands that his best his best methodology right now of picking up passing yardage is to call a run play and just hope that nobody's covering the guy that he wants to throw to. Or nobody you know, that they're not playing the specific route. That is how bad things are in terms of his receiving core. It's just it's not a good situation. And I think the offense is doing what it can to try and cover that up, but it's not a balanced system right now.
0: Yeah, as I said last week too, <clears throat> the last two weeks of the Packers offense, to sum it up, faced a lot of man coverage, threw a bunch of downfield low percentage, just straight go balls. Last week, weren't facing man coverage as much. I mean, they were, but it was still... It was it was, the, it was the horizontal pass game. It was taking all the underneath stuff. It was like you're saying, hey, we got a run play called. We're just going to throw it out to the receiver. There's a lot of that horizontal pass game. So there's not... Rodgers has one of the lowest completion percentage on 20-plus yard throws this year. Not always a quarterback stat. And the intermediate passing game just feels very inconsistent. So it's a lot of around-the-line-of-scrimmage short stuff and what has been, to this point, a low-percentage downfield passing attack. When they're hitting on all cylinders, it is, it's everything, right? They attack all levels of the field. Rodgers can make any throw. We know that. But they usually had a Devontae Adams— for the 10 to 19 yard range and the downfield throw when needed and because Devonte adams was attracting coverage that's when the valdez scantlings of the world got behind the defense and all that stuff right so the anything 10 plus is kind of lacking right now yeah for this offense
1: um i am fascinated by the kind of splits that zach wilson has so obviously he's only just back in the lineup we're still incredibly early into his nfl career into his sample size generally last season every single data point and the tape by the way spoke to a guy that was just in over his head and overwhelmed and kind of lost dealing with nfl speed nfl pressure everything this season there is evidence that when he's in a good situation things are good so you look at so far this year how he's performing under pressure um and that's the kind of number that a lot of times not great quarterbacks tend to be very good when they're kept clean and very not good when they're under pressure. So Zach Wilson this year has a grade of 92.5 when he's kept clean. He has a grade of 32.9 when he's been under pressure. Uh, you see a similar kind of split, though not as extreme, when versus the blitz or not. Uh, when he hasn't been blitzed, 86 overall grade. When he has been blitzed, drops down to 58 Um So, you know, Green Bay, they're a team that can get pressure with Rashawn Gary still playing incredibly. Kenny Clark is playing really well. They, when you kind of look at the the quadrant of that graph I was talking about, they blitz quite a lot and they get quite a lot of pressure. So this is a difficult team for Zach Wilson to be going up against and sort of
0: given the splits that he's shown so far this season. That's good. Good splits. So what do you think? Difficult team. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm expecting the Packers to give, give them some problems. And that's, that's before you get to the idea of who
1: the Jets have on the offensive line, which admittedly is moving in the right direction. Dwayne Brown coming back appeared to make a major difference right away. Elijah Vera Tucker at right tackle, that's probably the best option they have at right tackle. That, that seems to be a good combination now. But still, I think that Green Bay defensive front is enough that Wilson's probably going to get a reasonable amount of pressure, and so far he hasn't done well under pressure.
0: Yeah, Rashawn Gary's up. He's a problem for offenses. Yeah, I know. At the time, I yeah you know, we were we were lower on Rashawn Gary. Did you, did you know he was a he was a model guy actually? Really? Yeah. The uh, workout saved him. The workout saved. Him. So now I'm a Rashawn Gary guy. So I'm excited about his breakout. I see. I'm good. I'm good now. Rashawn Gary having a uh, fantastic season. 86.8 grade, pretty much since the end of 2020. Been a completely different player. And
1: he'll go mostly against Rash- uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who didn't give up a pressure last week at right tackle. He's, he's now played three different positions in the offensive line this season. And, in fact, three different in the last three weeks, right? Three straight um, weeks. He went left guard, left tackle, right tackle. Yeah. And right tackle, he didn't allow a pressure. Had good grades,
0: run blocking and pass blocking. Kenny Clark still on the interior. Good pass rusher there with Connor McGovern, Lakin Tomlinson there. What a cough. Lakin Tomlinson had his first <laughs> good game.
1: Remember, I yeah. was saying, like, he was he's been a problem for them so far this season. Randomly last week, he had
0: a really good game. I want to back up my um, sorry, my uh, Rodgers numbers really quick. 10-plus uh-huh. yard throws over the last couple of years, just using passer rating as a proxy. 2020, 128 on 10-plus yard throws. Passer rating was 120 last year, 10-plus yard throws. This year it's down to 82. Okay. So 40, about 40 to 50-point drop from what we've seen from Rodgers the last couple of years. It's pretty significant. The Packers, again, they're still sitting here at 3-2. and two their offense there's more good than bad. It's not an elite offense like it's been until Romeo Dobbs or whoever emerges, more Randall Cobb whoever emerges and Rogers starts hitting some of those throws more consistently. That's it. Okay. All that said, what do we what do we even think of the Jets here? They're you know that was supposed to be a pretty good test for them last week with the Dolphins, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't in one
1: way. Um you know Skylar Thompson being their quarterback wasn't a great test for the defense but nothing changed for Miami's defense and the Jets hung 40 on them like you know it's it's the Dolphins are a incredibly blitz happy team and they blitz Zach Wilson I think 50 percent of the time something like that so you know the, the test could have been sterner for the team overall but I think that game did show something about the Jets offense which is it might be moving in the right direction and maybe the Zach Wilson thing isn't going to be a complete train wreck the way it has looked up until now.
0: Yeah, it's tough to... So, I've said about the Jets every week, they got more players. That's exciting to see. Yeah. They're going to be more competitive. I think they could be competitive against Green Bay. I like the Packers in this one, though. I like the Packers to win. Is that too many points? Granted, so just two weeks ago, yes. Bailey Zappi... It is, Came in. I don't say that disparaging, but when you come off the bench in <laughs> Bailey Zappy, it took an Aaron Rodgers pick six and you know a rough first half. But the Packers went to overtime against Bailey Zappi's Patriots coming up, like, coming off the bench. Look, two I, weeks ago in Green Bay,
1: I think it's important to sort of note how far that offensive line fell. Like they came into the year. Expecting to have a top 10 caliber offensive line. I forget just how far it fell in the PFF offensive line rankings, but like deep into the 20s. Um, It became one of the worst offensive lines in the league given the injuries that they got hit with and who they were forced to start at various positions. But Dwayne Brown made an immediate impact, made, you know, week one bump with Dwayne Brown coming in, playing left tackle. If Elijah Vera Tucker is able to play at that level at right tackle every week, that's a big upgrade as well. And then all of a sudden, you're starting to move back in the right direction from one of the worst offensive lines in the league to a group that does have the potential, personnel-wise, to be maybe a top-10 unit. So if that can happen in the next couple of weeks,
0: the Jets are, should be a different team than we've seen from them. All right, I'm looking forward to seeing Sauce Gardner against uh, Rodgers and the Packers here. Yep. I, I think it'll be a good game. Seven and a half? Oh, man, I'm torn on this one. I'm going Jets. That's, that is too many points. I'll, not, take, not I'll the, take the Packers at home. I, I think they're better than they've showed. Yeah, see, I don't.
1: <laughs> it's not—I yeah. don't love the Jets, but I think Green Bay getting almost eight points against
0: anybody is, is rich right now. And if you're a Packers fan, it's, it's really a lot of the same questions you're asking in 2019 when LaFleur came over. They were winning games. Some of them were ugly, and the question was, why are they not putting together full games? Why is it the Patriots? It was they were good in the second half, terrible in the first, good in the second. The Giants was the reverse: good in the first, bad in the second. Why are they not putting together full games? And is that just the talent? Is just lack of talent compared to what they've had? I mean, Devontae Adams was there three years ago too. Maybe so. you need uh, Nathaniel Hackett back telling jokes. In oh, maybe it's Hackett
1: in the quarterback room. Maybe Hackett isn't keeping Rodgers loose. Star Wars trivia, you know, whatever he brought to the table.
0: They're in different conferences. You would think that they could. Uh, Dial him in? Yeah. Zoom? He could probably text a couple. Uh, Yeah. Like, hey, Nathaniel, do us a solid and text a couple funny jokes to Aaron on a Sunday morning. Yeah. In exchange, we'll give you some red zone plays. Yes. See, now we're talking trade. (laughs) I mean, LaFleur's got some good red zone plays. That's what's really interesting, right? Nobody has schemed up better tight red zone plays than the Packers the last three years. Yeah. Right in front of Hackett's eyes. Uh Uh-huh. Look, you fake a little end around, fake the handoff, and look, the uh, 20-year tight end, Mercedes Lewis, is wide open. We nice. just schemed Mercedes Lewis open. But he was too busy, uh, you know, coming up with... hes writing his material. Comedy Star Wars writing sketches. His, <laughs> writing his jokes. Oh, we got some good stuff going here. All right. Well, I'll take the Packers. What the heck. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bucks favored by eight and a half on the road in Pittsburgh. Uh, Tom Brady and the Steelers. Rich history. Of uh, battling head to head. Rich history. Kenny Pickett's second start. What are you looking for in this one?
1: Um, I'm kind of curious to see if some variance or turnover luck ish bounces back in Kenny Pickett's way. Like, he's got two games now, essentially. Um, He's got four interceptions in two weeks, but he's actually played okay. Like, you know, his his grade is what, high 60s, something like that. He's been fine. The interception, it's not that he hasn't made bad decisions for the interceptions, but he probably doesn't deserve to have four of them. Um. and okay the Bucks have a really good defense it's a very tough D to ask for that luck to swing back in his direction but I just kind of feel like the Steelers have been owed a little bit better results from what Kenny Pickett has actually showed now maybe you can make that argument for Trubisky as well but you know what I mean it just I, it feels like they've been a bit unlucky with how the Kenny Pickett thing
0: has gone so far yeah again my question is <clears throat> Pickett threw the ball decent again the other day I thought Mitch Trubisky threw the ball. Decent. and The offense is doing nothing. And they have more than just names at receiver. They've got some good receivers. We're starting to see what George Pickens can do. Yeah, Chase Claypool's inconsistent. Deontay Johnson's good. And as you said, just a fraction away from at least a couple more big plays and touchdowns. How much, what the Matt Canada situation, you know, there's people in Pittsburgh saying like, why? What's what's going on? He just hasn't shown enough from a play calling standpoint, coordinating this offense. Is it scheme or is it the quarterbacks that they keep trotting out? Maybe Big Ben was getting screwed by the scheme the last couple of years.
1: I mean, I think that's starting to become more true. Yeah. But look, I, I'm not going to go to bat for Big Ben over the last couple of years. I think he was very much done towards the end, hanging on by a thread. But I think it's becoming more and more clear that this offense has... Restrictions, and it's not going to make any quarterback that's in it look particularly good. Maybe that, like, maybe it just played into what Ben Ro- Ben Roethlisberger was becoming anyway. But
0: it's not helping anybody. Tight end Pat Frymuth concussion. He was limited yesterday. He got hit pretty bad in the Buffalo game. Not sure if he's going to play, but even with without with him out, you've got those receivers. Steelers are a little banged up in the secondary. We will talk about that in a second, but. I just want to see what this offense does. I, I've I've liked Kenny Pickett so far. I think he could play well. They've been really but close will it matter?
1: to some more plays as well. Like again, the the swing back of variance. Deontay Johnson is like a total of six inches away from three or four more impactful plays for them. There's a touchdown. There's a a sideline catch at like the one or two yard line that was an inch out. Like he's he's had a toe come down just out of bounds at least three. I think four times over the last couple of weeks. If those start swinging in his direction, those are big plays that the
0: Steelers' offense hasn't had. Maybe it's not the scheme. It's just a little luck and variance. I'm going to say the Steelers put up some points this week better than they have. They'll surprise some people. They'll hang hang tough in this one. Yeah, I think, look, their pass rush is still
1: in trouble without TJ Watt. Um, That's a huge thing for them. But I do think that their offense is due a little bit of luck bouncing in their direction. And... Tampa Bay still isn't firing, like for reasons. But I don't know that many of those reasons are going to go away this week. So at eight and a half points on the road, that just feels like too much for me. I'm going to go Pittsburgh.
0: All right, I'm going to take the box for a couple of reasons though. Um, <clears throat> I think I think their I think their offense will do well this week. I think they'll put the points up on the board. Yeah, I said the Steelers will will score some points as well, but I could see the Bucks pulling away late. Um, injury note, it sounds like Julio Jones is going to get shut down for a little while now. Shocker. So knee injury, and they're going to see if they can get him healthy for the stretch run. Um, Russell Gage is banged up with, like, his third different injury yep. this year. But Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I mean, Godwin's questionable, but he, he'll be good to go. Bucks going to the passing game the last few weeks, kind of a – a thing Brady tends to do against the Steelers historically, for whatever that's worth. I can see them coming out, chucking it around. They're going to put points up on the board, I think. Is
1: if cool. I was a GM for a few different teams in the NFL, I would be asking some questions about my medical department. Just just questions, you know? I'm not going anywhere with this. I just have a few questions for you. The Bucks would be one of them for their receiving room. The Giants would be one of them for the same reason. Uh, who else has had like a specific position group banged up for like three years? The Ravens left tackle uh, athletic trainer. Ronnie Stanley, bank by the way, and looking yeah. like he looked good. Okay, they were doing that rotating him in thing to ease him back in. But after basically two years being out, that's A, huge for the Ravens and B, awesome for Ronnie Stanley because, you know, when you're at that kind of length of time, I'm not saying like my optimism for you being the same guy is not high again,
0: but he looked good. Just All right, aside. I'll take the Bucks to cover it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you blame position group injuries. That's probably a complete
1: fluke. I'm just saying if I was a GM and not a medical doctor, I would have some questions like, hey, it's been two years now. How come they're always injured? All of them. You know, what's going on?
0: I mean, the Bucks have had pretty good injury success until. Except the wide receiver group for two years. Yeah, late last year. It did. That's true. Uh, give me the Bucks. Cover the eight and a half on the road against the Steelers. Cincinnati Bengals at the New Orleans Saints. The Bengals favored by two in New Orleans. Bengals two and three, Saints two and three. Yeah, battle of Dalton. Houdat versus day. Andy Dalton revenge game. Dalton's playing, right? I think so. Yeah, against the Bengals. Ginger revenge game.
1: <laughs> it's the Red Rifle revenge. There's a lot happening here. Ginger and revenge, including so. Tyler has a clip, clue, or queued up of uh, Joe Burrow. In, the, in his press conference yesterday, I think. Uh, the man has, like, PTSD at this point. He's been hit so often. Somebody coughed in the press conference, and it was like a bomb had exploded just next to him. Have you got that clip, Tyler? Hit it. Here we go. Watch this. You Get a lot of I'm game plan on. stuff you done. You seen or heard the clip, but watch it. I <laughs> mean, you said you <gasps> plant trash bags or whatever. That was just somebody so, coughing. Get a lot a of game plan yeah. stuff done. Just somebody in the press conference. If you're not watching yeah, on YouTube, safe. you can find Play the clip, flashback. which just like Google searching on Twitter Get a Burrow lot of
0: and, stuff done. and find the video. You think that's because of his guard situation? Yeah. You think that's because of the offensive line? Uh-huh.
1: I'm just saying, you know, we've said this before, that when, you, when your offensive line is bad enough and the pressure rate gets bad enough, you start feeling ghosts, you know, pressure where it's not there. Somebody coughed in the general vicinity of Joe Burrow, and it was like somebody had let off a gun. You know, that's how traumatized he is by the pass rush so far this season. That's funny. PTSD pressure. That being said, I think this is a sneaky get-right spot for Burrow and his PTSD and the Bengals' offense generally. We think of the Saints as having this really good defensive line. I always do. Well, because they should. Look at the talent. It's there, but they're 30th in blitz rate. They don't blitz. They rely on that front four, and they're 29th in pressure rate this season, and none of those guys is playing particularly well. So as much as it should be a difficult defensive line to go up against – It hasn't been. So I kind of like this Bengals offensive line to survive that. And if they, you know, give Burrow a viable platform, this should still be a decent
0: offense. I have a question for you, though. Yeah? Has the league figured out Joe Burrow? (laughs) Have they figured out Joe Burrow? Just saying. Check the too high. We're going to need a little too high update here. Where is he in too high world? Too high world. It's grading in the 40s, going as the last week. I don't think it got any better. I mean, look, I, this is—it's the same question we were asking about Mahomes and the Chiefs last year. Like, if teams are teams are leaning into this a lot,
1: but this is a thing. Nobody likes playing against these types of defenses. Nobody. I mean, there are there are quarterbacks that are better at it than others because inherently it forces you into being patient and methodical and boring and nobody likes doing that as a quarterback there are certain quarterbacks that can tolerate it but dude even peyton manning used to snap
0: every now and again and go to hell with it i'm throwing a seam you know that's what i'm saying like look it's it's not as simple as the jokes we've made like go check out the 2003 playbooks and you know you've got your cover two beaters it's not that simple because it's not like hey everybody's just playing cover two like it's 2003 again but in 2003 when cover two was pretty prominent Teams were taking shots, like they were throwing the ball down the field a lot more. Yeah.
1: I think that was I think that's one of Tom Brady's greatest assets is unlimited patience. If you were going to tell Brady that you're gonna put the ball in the air fifty times in this game and not one of them will travel beyond fifteen yards in the line of scrimmage, he'd just be like, All right, cool. You know, whatever wins. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I he might be the only quarterback in the NFL that that, that is true for. As I say, even Peyton Manning would get twenty-five snaps in and go, oh, to hell with this! Like I'm taking a shot. I'm not. I'm not doing it. You know, and maybe it was motivated by true, uh, like, like a real reason. Like, hey, I gotta, I gotta threaten them with something. Otherwise, this gets too hard. You know. But but he would snap. Every other quarterback, they snap. They can't deal with it. It's just you, nobody likes being that guy where I gotta, I gotta dump it off every every time. So I don't think it makes sense to sort of. Single out any one quarterback and go, ah, this, is, this is the answer to stopping Joe Burrow. It's the answer to stopping them all. Like, this is why defense is playing better this year. This is why Tom Brady says that the standard of football this year is crappy because that's how people interpret defense as getting the upper hand recently. That's just the reality of the world. But what we're seeing is. Doesn't stop Gino. Doesn't stop Gino. Just saying. What we're seeing is the reality of all the unsustainable things from last year coming down to earth. Jamar Chase is not doing what he did last year because nobody's surprised by it anymore. Defenses are playing more of that type of defense that takes away that, that type of play anyway. And Joe Burrow hasn't been able to make the insane plays under pressure that he made all last season, and the offensive line has been worse. So all the unsustainable outliers from a year ago are regressing hard. The things that weren't unsustainable are just getting worse. Consequently, Cincinnati hasn't looked good. But I do think that this is a nice... Bounce back
0: opportunity for them. Yeah, I mean to just to throw those numbers out there. So Burroughs faced 90 dropbacks against two high schemes. We're calling that cover two, four, and six, quarters, you know, and, and basically both quarters and two. That's what cover six is. Forty-eight point seven passing grade for Joe Burrow. And now he's up to no big time throws, five turnover worthy plays, had that interception the other day. So yeah, the league as a whole, passing grades are down a little bit. They're down when you face too high. They, um, the explosive plays, aren't there as much. Are we the ceiling gonna? I'd wait for more than in? one creek before we just panic. a little creek in the ceilings. We're not gonna, we're not gonna evacuate yet. But also, um, it'll hit your head first. It's higher. It's a good point. It's a good point. I'm I'm fast though. I'm like a cat. I'll be out of here, quick. What? Quicker than quicker than fast. Yeah, I'll run before. I don't it think you're quick or fast. For six ten. <laughs> like you move well for a big lad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it doesn't help. You see the Randy Johnson thing while we're here? the photographer. Yeah. Yeah. He's just following me to baseball. Maybe you could take that out uh,
1: when you, you know, retire. Go to no, I've already made the move from baseball to football. I just mean going to sideline photography. Oh, maybe, yeah. Randy's a former teammate. How do you think it would have gone if Randy had been the photographer that Devontae Adams shoved? He's a bigger guy.
0: Yeah, Randy's, Randy's kind of uh I mean, you, you know how I'm pushing 300. Yeah, like he's pushing 200. Right. Yeah. He's he's rangy, wiry, wiry. He's wiry. Yeah. yeah. But he's big. Like there's a lot there's a lot of poundage there. Yeah. Him and Devonte Smith are would be interesting standing next to each other. Just <laughs> like same guy like stretched out. You know. Yeah. Like if Devontae was six ten, they'd probably have similar weight. Right. You know what I mean. But, uh, hey, Randy Johnson, look at him, NFL photographer. He looks serious. I mean, he takes his job serious. It's pretty cool. I mean, I think he is. Good for him. I haven't seen his photographs, but when you're a professional photographer... It's a copycat league. When you're a 6'10 pitcher, you find yourself in in football. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. He was my teammate, Randy. One, One day. He got drafted, right? Oh, yeah, very high. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hall of Famer. So there's a limit
1: to the similarities. Yeah, but we... We well, are both Hall of Fame. Walked right past each other. Different Halls of Fame, but.
0: Walked right past each other in the clubhouse. <laughs> you are both Halls of Famer. Hall, yes. Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm different. sure he's in more than one Hall of Fame, too. Right. I bet. Different Halls. Like of me. We We're both just multiple time Hall of Famers. It's true. So, uh, will the Bengals figure out the Saints? Uh, Smash the like button. That's I don't right. think there's Thanks much figuring
1: out involved. They just, I think it's a good matchup for them. So, yes, I like them to do well.
0: The um, here's my, my question. I had some questions about the Saints thing, the Taysom Hill stuff, right? Yeah, Taysom Hill last week. We know all the things that they did ran the ball, he threw the ball, he did all these things. Do the Saints start to chase that? Well, so the question is, week? what is Taysom Hill? It's a tight end who takes direct snaps,
1: but what, but what is that? I don't know.
0: I think it's a thing that works every few
1: games. Okay, so, you, so your answer to what is Taysom Hill is a gimmick.
0: Kind of. The, the, remember a couple of years ago when the I always referenced the Seahawks game? They played against Detroit, and Russ only dropped back like 18 times or whatever. He was like 16 for 18, something ridiculous. And they just ran the ball for five yards a pop or six yards a pop, and it's like, that's it. That is Pete Carroll's dream. But if you try to do that every single game, you just can't do it. You're not good enough to run for six yards per carry in the NFL. When you run every single day, it's, it's, it's tough to do. So how do you... So what do you do the next week? Do you say, man, that's our premier game plan. If we could do that every week, we're going to win. Yes, but game plan and execution doesn't match. Like, you can't execute it like that every time. Would the, would the Saints love to get 100 yards on nine carries from Taysom Hill and have a deep pass and have some other stuff that he gets involved in? Yes, but if you design 10 to 15 plays for Taysom Hill every week and make him 25% of your offense, some of those weeks it's not going to work at all. And you have to practice those. You, like, maybe Andy Dalton just needs more time with his pretty good receiving group. You know what I'm saying? So, like, how do you balance that if you're the Saints? Because I don't think you could expect Taysom Hill to have those games that he literally has, like, twice a year.
1: So, the thing is, so, obviously, he's not a quarterback. We've established that. He's also not Steve Young 2.0. For Let's start with that one. Okay, so, yeah. what, things Taysom Hill is not. Steve Young 2.0. Cross. Uh, a so quarterback. Far. Cross. A tight end cross. He's got like one target this year. So he's none of those things. What if Taysom Hill is the answer to the Thunder part of the Thunder and Lightning backfield combination that New Orleans wants to and needs to have with Alvin Kamara? He's Mark
0: Ingram with some throwing ability. There
1: you go. Why can't Taysom Hill be the power runner of the duo that they have in the backfield that also happens to have a gimmick ability of throwing every now and again? Okay. Okay. I could I could buy that. I could see that. Because, like, we, we have this tight end, you know, this designated tight end playing running back. And it turns out if you have him just run the damn ball, he's pretty good at that. Now, maybe you want him to work on the ball security thing and not fumble quite so often as he has in his NFL career generally. But I don't see why he can't be possibly the best option they have as the between-the-tackles power runner. Just line him up as a running back and say, why are we screwing around with this, you know, wildcat formations? Understand, there Like, why are we gimmicking up the runs when, in truth, what we just have is
0: a running back? Like, I mean, you do that because there's a threat of the pass, and you're winning the numbers advantage. But you can do like, I don't. That's know what that, happened. Like Seattle's run defense, but nobody's has, buying that anymore. Like, we're not. It still matters though. You still have to account for it. You still have to have your gaps covered.
1: But there's always, as long as he's. A threat to pass the ball that 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 threat is always there. Like you can do Ladanian Tomlinson running back
0: sweeps where he just pulls up and passes to a wide receiver. Like that still exists as long as he can throw. I'm the talking ball. about the numbers advantage of taking a direct. It's it's the whole wildcat thing, right? I mean, taking the direct snap, you don't have a quarterback there. The quarter it, it just you you have to account an extra person in the box. Yeah, well, that doesn't that's taking no, a handoff doesn't have the same effect. You're talking about taking a handoff, if. Like making him the running back?
1: At the moment, what you're doing is by having him as the direct... The guy taking the direct snap. There is an extra man in the box, which is
0: decreasing your ability to run the football. No, it's not. Because it's offset by the fact that there's not a quarterback there to hand the ball off. Okay, so it's... it's essentially a wash.
1: Exactly. So if it's a wash, then why continue with the pretense? Just line him up in the backfield and give him the carry. Like... What is, my argument is, is that right now Taysom Hill is actually the next Cordero Patterson in terms of a guy that's just been miscast. And it turns out the thing he should have been all along is just a running back. And yeah, we complicated this by trying to work out what he is because Sean Payton insisted he was the next Steve Young. He's a running back. He's a running back.
0: Treat him as a running back. All right. If you're the offense or the defense? Both. All right. So all that said, Cincinnati. Ugh, give me Cincinnati, too. Have we agreed yet? It's our first uh, agreement since Philly. Since Philly. And, Ken, yeah, the first three we agreed. How are we doing on time? Probably not great. Not great at all. You know who's doing great? Who? Western and Southern. Oh, yeah? My Google Doc? No. But the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, what's next on this list?
1: Miami and Minnesota.
0: Yeah, Minnesota Vikings at the Miami Dolphins. Correct. Is that what I said? Yeah. We got uh, Skylar Thompson making his first start. Do we? Is that official? Two is definitely out. <laughs> Teddy's practicing. Is he? In a so I've just seen so many people declare
1: Skyler Thompson's making his first start. Teddy Bridgewater is on the practice field today in a limited and non-contact uh, basis. What's his injury? Just a concussion? He's in the concussion protocol, but this is part of the steps. And if we assume, by the way, that he wasn't concussed, which who the hell knows, right? But there was no evidence of the apraxia stuff that they were talking about. Um, And he passed the sideline concussion test. If he wasn't actually concussed, there's no reason he won't pass the concussion protocol and be ready for this week. Yeah. By the way, I learned during the week that the spotter, you know, the person looking out for the wobbles, is not a medical professional. That's not the independent neurologist. That's just a trainer. A trainer? Yeah. I forget... I, I, there's multiple of them, maybe, but it's it's a trainer. It's not, it's not like a medical professional going, that guy's woozy. Like, no neurologist is going, yep, there it is. It's just some random-ass trainer going, yeah, that looked like a wobble to me. Haul him off. I mean, I could do that. I think anybody could do that. My, anyway, I think they goofed on the Teddy thing. I didn't see any evidence of that. But my point being, if he wasn't actually concussed, he'll be playing, right? I would think so. Yeah. So I don't think it's for sure that Scarlett Thompson's playing.
0: Now, last week, Bailey Zappi made his first start after looking a little shaky coming off the bench. Skylar Thompson and Bailey Zappi, actually, both had really good preseasons, nice college careers. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, I don't think Skylar Thompson's overmatched in the NFL. I think a week of preparing for a game with this Dolphins offense, he could do a pretty good job. Also, remember, he's
1: like a savvy veteran at 28 years old. Or whatever old. he is. yeah.
0: Is that Brandon Whedon age?
1: Not quite, but. Yeah, same kind of ballpark. He's 25, right? Something like that.
0: Yeah, so Skylar Thompson could have a good game here.
1: He could. I wouldn't expect it, necessarily. <laughs> but it's 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 like, I uh, remember when Nick Mullins got the start for, was it the Raiders? Who did Nick Mullins start? Or the 49ers against the Raiders? For the 49ers against the Raiders, yeah. And people were disgusted that we were going to have to watch a game where Nick Mullins was going to start a quarterback. Yeah, Thursday it was, night football. Yeah, it was one of it, it, of course it was Thursday it night football. Because... Everybody hates Thursday night football and any kind of like backup playing or injury is held up as like this is the reason Thursday night football sucks. Because we have to sit here uh, Thursday night watching some guy called Nick Mullins play a game against the Raiders. You know, and everyone was disgusted that Nick Mullins goes out there, carves him up, has yeah, you a great game.
0: You didn't jump on board with the hate.
1: No, but it's a lot like that where there's actually quite a lot of data saying that Nick Mullins might be an interesting quarterback. Okay, it his NFL career didn't exactly last, you know, long term, but he had a lot of decent performances, good games and now he's a backup. Scarlett Thompson's in the same kind of ballpark of you know, we've seen a lot of good play from Scarlett Thompson in college and then in preseason it might not be as disgusting as you think it will be. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was trying to say. I just I was giving you backup
0: with, Thank you. with a, previous, you. a previous a previous case study. Yeah. Uh, right now, we got Minnesota favored by three and a half. In Miami, now, have we crossed the point? It's October, you know, mid-October here. Is it past the point of weird stuff happens in Miami? That? St- you I mean, that's like, you know, hot Miami. September. I didn't realize that at a cutoff point. Well, yeah, because, like, the heat diminishes a little bit. Do you yeah. think the weird stuff happens
1: in Miami is strictly a temperature It's more of an early problem. season type of thing, yeah. Okay. But I, I thought it was always just a permanent issue.
0: Could be, and if that is. Miami's going to keep this thing close. Yeah. Tyree Kill's been on the uh, injury report as well. Sounds like he's going to play, though, right? Yes. I'm not getting an updated injury report here on ESPN. Why am I not getting that? Uh, Like, why is Teron Teron Armstead's not on the injury report after he missed most of last week?
1: (laughs) Kirk Cousins against the Blitz this year has a PFF grade of 44.3. And a passer rating of 56. And the Miami Dolphins are one of the most blitz happy
0: teams in the NFL. I like that stat. Listen, another theory that I don't, it takes a lot to like kind of pull the data and all that stuff. My theory is the blitz is more effective against quarterbacks in new systems. Sure. Right? Makes sense. So even, so like Russell Wilson's in Denver and. He's used to handling the blitz a certain way. His he's been in different systems too. But like Tom Brady with the Bucs a couple of years ago is probably the easiest example, right? That guy had every check, twenty years of experience in the same system, and then you go to Tampa Bay, and it's not just him. It's like, well, that you know they have to see the, the the field the same way that he does. So I wonder if that is just a good strategy. Derek Carr right now with with the Raiders going to McDaniel's, do you do that against a Cousins who's still somewhat adjusting to Kevin O'Connell? So I can't back
1: you up with. You know, an exhaustive study, yes. but last five years, including this year, Kirk Cousins' grade against the blitz is seventy-eight. Yeah, he's so much it's better. It's specifically yeah. this year he's trash.
0: And, and, and you know, but but how do you weigh that, right? I mean, this is the equivalent of the people out there who are like, "Hey, every time there's ten personnel and you run, you average eighteen per carry." It's like go, yeah,
1: there's two carries goes up to eighty-one if you strip out this season. So there you go. So
0: prior to this year, grade against the blitz, but, but how much do you weigh? Do you weigh this year? and five weeks of stuff Uh versus an entire career or do you explain it away because yeah there's there's an explanation here for the slow start which is new system and it's not this because handling the blitz is just the second nature right of knowing where to go with the ball I know the offense like the back of my hand I've been doing this it's instinctive and and cousin I mean cousins is the most instinctive guy but he's a you know, paint by numbers, pretty good guy. He doesn't, maybe doesn't have the, all the all the numbers painted yet. <laughs> all the numbers painted. He also hasn't seen the blitz that metaphor. much this season. You mean um, metaphor? Good metaphor.
1: He also hasn't seen the blitz that much. It's like 20% of his snaps, and you look at the teams they've played. A bunch of those were against the Eagles late. They were. They started coming after them. Bears don't blitz. The Saints don't blitz. The Eagles, middle of the pack. The Packers do blitz quite a bit. But, you know, generally speaking, they have faced a bunch of teams that don't really blitz an awful lot. So... Yeah, we are in the realm of small sample sizes, et cetera, but I just think because it's Miami and we know they will blitz a crap load, it is a thing to watch. What is this? uh... I have no idea who this is. All right. Can you focus on the podcast that we're doing, not whatever crap you're... There was uh, an HR issue that was
0: uh, presented to me. Okay. Just taking a look at it. Took care of it. Yeah. All right, so where are you going in this one? Okay, what does it matter if, if Teddy's the... If Teddy's playing, if Teddy Bridgewater is on the field, I think the Dolphins, they can move the ball. They've got this explosive offense that still exists the same way with Tua as the quarterback.
1: Well, it's the same question from last week, which is we get a a much more clear indication of how much this offense is Tyreek Hill and Mike McDaniel and all the other things versus Tua. We thought we were going to get an idea of that last week and then we didn't because Teddy lasted one play before getting taken out of the game. All we learned last week is that apparently there's a difference between Tua and Skylar Thompson. Um, so uh, off the bench, Skylar Thompson, right? So same question this week is if it's Teddy, you know, I, can he execute the same kind of offense that, that Tua has been executing?
0: All right, give me the Dolphins here. Same. Dolphins covering the three and a half at home. San, uh, San Francisco 49ers at the Atlanta Falcons. Niners favored by five and a half on the road here in Atlanta. Old school NFC West showdown.
1: How old school do we have to go for that to be a showdown? As recently
0: as 2001. <laughs> as recently as, yeah. recently as 21 years ago, huh? Yeah, that was, that was what, yeah, because when they reshuffled yeah, the, alignment the, uh, the Texans. The Falcons, the old stuff, you know, the, the, the Cardinals being in the East, the Falcons being in the West, that was good stuff. What do you think about the, uh, the next division being in Europe? I'm terrible. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> why? What do you mean, Why? What do you think about Mike Florio thinks that the NFL could go to 40? And I'm not saying that as like a disparaging, can you believe Mike Florio, but like he's got enough information somewhere yeah. that he thinks they're going to try to get to 40
1: teams? Well, that's so, that it's all connected, right? Like we, people have been talking for years about the idea of London getting, a, you know, London getting the next franchise. It's not going to happen like that. I mean, they, Roger Goodell, Neil Reynolds, one of the, the NFL Europe, or NFL UK guys was sort of joking. Friend of the show. Yeah was joking with Raj and was like uh, hey you know we've we said can London get a team for ages now actually can we get a division you know with London and Europe and and Germany the game's there and Raj's like, yeah I mean thats <laughs> that was that's the idea essentially he's Raj said that he thinks London can sustain not one but two franchises and then they're they're trying Germany and various you know to see where they can go next so a lot of job opportunities in the NFL coming up here. And the idea that the next division will be a European division. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Yeah, we'll see.
0: This is how we have three-hour podcasts. This is not helping anybody. Yeah, we're talking about the the NF, uh, NFL. Just go. Niners and Falcons we're talking about here. Yeah.
1: Uh, 49ers defense allowing four yards per play. The best in the NFL by half a yard. Uh, the Falcons offense... You know, it's fun, it's it's good, it's 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 exciting, it's fun to watch every week. But this is like a brick wall they're running up against, even without um, Emmanuel Mosley with his ACL injury. So I feel like the exciting, fun-to-watch Falcons offense might just grind to a halt this week, and then you've got, like, what can the 49ers do against their defense, which is probably enough to win fairly comfortably.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if, you know, Atlanta's really leaned on that run game. Is that the way to slow the 49ers pass rush and not get into that situation? Their pass defense has just been so good. Will they get hit a little bit by Emmanuel Mosley being out? But slow down that San Francisco pass rush. Like we know the the Niners are pretty good offensively. Jimmy Garoppolo maybe finding his uh finding his groove the last couple weeks here. Or the offense finding their groove a little bit more. And um Look, the Falcons like to play that creative brand of run-first football, don't they? Yeah. So that's uh, one way to combat things. But I don't know, man. Atlanta, Atlanta's up in that Texans feisty category. You know, they're, they're, they're playing above their talent level. Last year, they played above their talent level in wins and losses, I think. This year, I think they're just keeping games close. They fought back last week against the Bucs. I mean, they made it yeah. a thing. They should have had a... Game-winning drive opportunity. If they didn't have the the Grady Jarrett call, so all that said, I, again, I just think the Falcons are so overwhelmed. I mean, they're just they're just outmatched defensively. Yep, they they do their best. <laughs> they try. I mean, they they try to. They've, they've tried to scheme it up enough, and they're better than they were probably last year and two years ago. There's just. They're just so reliant Not on that yet.
1: offense now. And as much as the offense is good and fun, it's kind of it's very scheme-driven more than just being a very good team, particularly with yeah. their quarterback situation. So if they run up against what looks like the best defense in the NFL right now and the offense falters,
0: I mean, they're just screwed at that point because the defense cannot go toe-to-toe with somebody. Kyle Shanahan returning to the dome here. That's the other thing. Like When you think of Kyle Shanahan offenses, you think speed. You think speed in space. And I think, man, if they're in a dome, they can put some points on the board. We've seen the Niners go, put a ton of points on the Saints a couple years ago in the dome and everything. Like, this is like a good, it's a good setting for Shanahan's offense. Give me the Niners to cover the five and a half here. Yep. New England Patriots at the Cleveland Browns. Browns favored by two and a half. Do you remember the game the last time the Patriots went to Cleveland? No. It was 2010. The Patriots were, I think they were 14-2 and two that year. One of their losses to the Colt McCoy-led Browns. The Colt McCoy-led Browns. Eric Mangini is the head coach. God. That was the game. The Browns, you know, remember Mangini and Belichick had their little rivalry. Yeah. And Patriots were rolling. They were beating every good team and all this stuff. And they go into Cleveland. And the Browns are pulling out, like, uh, fumble ruski plays. I mean, it was like their Super Bowl. All, surprise on sidekicks. I forget, but it was like a whole bunch of trick plays. That all worked. Browns played great defensively and shut down the Patriots offense. Colt McCoy in the offense was unstoppable. Browns win. Rookie Colt McCoy. Rookie Colt McCoy, yeah. Rookie third round, was he? Yeah. So uh, that was the last time. That was, you know, over 10 years ago. It's funny how that happens. Sometimes you don't. They're an AFC team, so you haven't seen that matchup in Cleveland for years. Uh, It's a little different world right now. But it looks like Bailey Zappi's back again.
1: Yeah, though Mac Jones was sort of testing the ankle and didn't look terrible yeah. on it, so
0: we're getting close. I feel like if this wasn't the Patriots, you would have just had it declared. He's out four to five weeks. Of course. And it's now it's like every week. To, he's practiced every week. Yeah, day to
1: day. Yeah, It's like, dude, he looked like he, he looked like someone had shattered his ankle with a sledgehammer when he went off the field. He's he is practicing. not playing
0: anytime soon. He's practicing four days later without walking, but yeah. he's practicing. Limited. Uh, and it's also uh, Belichick versus Jacoby Brissette. Belichick versus Former. Brissette. Former. Former quarterback that he drafted, sure. Yeah, we've now seen Bill Belichick go head to head with Jimmy Garoppolo a couple years ago, head to head with Tom Brady, and now Jacoby Brissett. Much the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, just need to see uh, imagine if Zach Robinson started a game against Bill Belichick. Wow. Oh, and then later in the season, we'll have Belichick and Kevin O'Connell in a coaching matchup. True. On Thanksgiving, Belichick against how many of his former
1: quarterbacks
0: has he faced as coaches now? O'Connell, the only guy would be right I mean unless you count Zach that they face but he faces his former players all he faces Vrabel and the Titans all the yeah, time yeah. Um, I mean, everything's a revenge game for Belichick Everybody. right you've been around
1: long enough they're all revenge they're games. all revenge games Patriots are 30th in the NFL in yards before contact per play uh, and they're going up against Nick Chubb who's an unstoppable yeah. four, like remember that yeah the, where's that
0: suite where he leads the league in everything
1: the NFL remember um the X Men cartoon, Juggernaut, sure. The unstoppable force that dude, the yeah, ridiculous helmet, like looked a little bit like a comedy cartoons, uh, caricature football player. Couldn't be stopped by anything once he was going. That's Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb has forty-two broken tackles this season. That's a top ten figure from last year for the entire year, and he's done it in five weeks. That's
0: crazy, man. So my question with that always is: We talk about the run game being something you can you could choose to stop it, right? Yeah. You could choose to load the box. On the other hand, I did say the Chargers loaded the box last week and Chubb ran a 41-yarder and the whole thing, is this that game where the Patriots say, okay, we're just going to stop Nick Chubb. We're going to make Jacoby Brissett beat us. The Patriots often try to take away one of the passing game weapons of the opposing team. In this case, it would be focus on Amari Cooper. But in this particular game, are they like, hey, we know that Nick Chubb's the engine to this offense. Brissett's playing well, but at the same time, I'll take my chances with Brissett making throw after throw after throw. Rather than trying to I mean I let think Nick it, Chubb run all over us.
1: I think it probably is, but unlike normal situations where that's the case, it's like, hey, we're gonna pay special attention to this thing today and shut it down. Like the Browns and Nick Chubb are so good and so unstoppable right now that you're gonna need an awful lot of dedication to try and shut that down. And even then Nick Chubb is capable of busting through three tackles and turning what should have been a nothing play into a big gain. Like we saw that last week, his his big run, you know, somebody freeze framed the play. It's like Chubb somewhere towards right field, and basically the entire defense in front of him are like Chubb scored on this play. Yeah. So there's only so much legislation you can do from an X's and O scheme standpoint in terms of this is how we're gonna we're gonna shut Nick Chubb down today. Those plays he should be shut down, but he isn't, and there's you can there's nothing you can do about that from a whiteboard point of view. Um, and that I could easily see that
0: being the case. The other potential mismatch here: Patriots have the number six run-blocking team. Cleveland has the worst run defense grade in the NFL. That, I want to say that was skewed a little bit by games, maybe where Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney were out. But still, it's one of the worst groups of interior defensive linemen in the league. Yep. If Zappy's under center, it's the same game plan, man. It's it's he doesn't. They don't want him passing more than twenty, twenty-five times. They're going to run Ramondre Stevenson. Damian Harris is hurt. Stevenson's going to be the bell cow again. I think he's going to get his yards. Nick Chubb's going to get his yards. It's going to be a whole lot of rushing yards in like a you 19-16 know, to 16 game. Yeah, probably. I could see that. And all that said, give me New England. Give me New England as underdogs here. No, I'm taking the Browns. the Browns.
1: I think their rushing attack is going to have more success, and I
0: think their quarterback is better. Patriots are going to be winning Jacoby Brissett's going to be in a game winning drive situation money interception number four no it's
1: going to do it no it won't be an interception it will be uh, they'll be in field goal range and then Jacoby Brissett will take a 16 yard sack that will take them out of field goal
0: range perfect and then I don't know what happens after that all right before we get to the last four games don't forget to get the PFF app go check it out right now search PFF check out the app check out all of Sam's work Spread the word. Tell people, it's how we're going to be delivering our content in a whole new way through the PFF app. Get all your fantasy rankings, all the cool uh, betting suggestions on there as well. So go check it out. PFF app. Live right now in the App Store. All right. Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll said, Drew Locke. Mm. Nip it at the heels. Geno Smith. I, so
1: I didn't even look at that. I didn't look at the quote. I didn't see the video, find the audio, whatever that feels like one that's immediately kind of taken out of context.
0: Oh shoot. You know what? I hate when people do that Yeah, and I've done it. And you and joked, I, you, you became, the, I did you it. became the problem. You I became did. the thing you hate. I jumps to a quote tweet. Right. Yeah, now to be it. fair, it was funny,
1: Yeah, but you became, you've become the thing you hate. I did. I have. Yeah. Like he's just saying, you know, he's, he's fighting hard in practice. He's pushing Gino the whole way. Yeah.
0: The end. He's also saying, fair. You know, if you're a desperate quarterback and you're looking for a, potential starter we got one
1: yeah but like there's nothing wrong with saying that he's pushing Gino Smith in practice and you know keeping him honest it's fair it doesn't mean yeah. that there's it's not an automatic implication that it's in any way shape or form a
0: close contest maybe by pushing it means like come on Gino come on man you like don't miss that throw like go get him
1: but even if it just means he's performing well in practice and making sure that Gino has to keep up his like it doesn't mean that there's this is not a competition like it's not yeah. a close thing yeah. Geno is playing at an incredible level that just means are. he's pushing that's the guy a, that's to what practice. we
0: that's what we bring to the table here while everyone else is overreacting well, including, I do, you apparently. including me yeah. we will tell you what that really means what it really means or what it could mean or what it doesn't mean most importantly Yeah. what it doesn't mean is there's no competition because Geno Smith right now is the number one graded quarterback in the NFL now that being said as I say I didn't actually look at the uh, video or
1: listen to the audio for all I know he was in fact <laughs> sounding as absurd as people took it to assume so I'm just saying it felt like one where he probably wasn't anyway yes focus on Gino Geno Smith not only is he the number one graded quarterback in the NFL Gino Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes that's your one two three just as we all thought it would be six weeks into the season at least that one guy that bet against us did uh, he also leads the NFL in big-time throw rate. Geno, Geno Smith. And completion percentage. Yes. You don't get uh, that often. No, you don't. I, so the Cardinals give up a lot of explosive pass plays. Can they stop that Geno Smith big-time throw money machine that's happening
0: right now? We also have, we, I, I don't remember if we've discussed this on air in our eight hours of podcasting every single week, but what else can we compare this breakout to? With Geno Smith, the things that come to mind. I think on air we did say, do you go all the way back to like Rich Gannon turning his career around? Do you go to a Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, early in 2018, out of this world first few weeks throwing the ball for the Bucks when he was filling in for Jameis Winston? Something like it was a stretch of play that was not in line with the rest of his career.
1: What if what if Randall Cunningham had never been good? And then happened. Then 98 Cunningham
0: happened. Yeah, like how do you? What was what was Cunningham's career? Like what would you say? Like he's this he's this unique player who was valuable but inconsistent with the Eagles. And then in nineteen ninety eight, he does I mean, he stumbles into Randy Moss. Yeah. Right? That's that's a big part of it. But even then, like I mean, think about what Randy Moss did that year. He made Randall Cunningham and Jeff George look good over a two year period. Yep. That Brad Johnson, like <laughs> Randy Moss, was just
1: creating an endless stream of absurd quarterbacks. Yeah, he couldn't do it in Oakland,
0: though. He no, look, Andrew Walter he was couldn't a step drag too Andrew far. Walter in uh, in Oakland. Yeah, I mean, is yeah, there's something there. I, I really think Fitzpatrick, but Fitzpatrick had like eight years of you know mid mid tier type of grades, bit of a roller coaster ride, and then even when he hit that stretch, you were like. We've seen Fitzpatrick play well before over stretches. We're expecting him to come back down to earth. And Fitz actually, for the next three years, actually had his best stretch of play. So
1: the Cunningham thing, it was four years before the last time Randall Cunningham had more than 600 passing yards. Like, he had essentially been done. Yeah. And then stumbles into that 1998 season. That Like, okay, the... The first few years, you know, the, the real Philadelphia Eagles' Randall Cunningham career was obviously light years different from the previous Geno Smith iteration. But the idea that a guy has come from basically nowhere to being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, that part is a pretty strong connection. Like, um, Randall funny, Cunningham yeah. that year, 98, was, I think he was an all pro that year. He, was, he had
0: MVP votes. Like, that's what we're talking about with Geno right now. He is playing at an incredible level. So I told you, the, the reason why I want to buy in is because it looks different. He's making throws that he wasn't making before. He's making off-schedule off plays and the whole thing. Could he come crashing back down to earth at any time? Sure. I don't think it's this week against Arizona.
1: No. I mean, the Cardinals defense Cardinals favored by two and a half, though. Yeah, the Cardinals defense hasn't really shown indications of being able to cope with that kind of threat yet and it's
0: a real threat now from an Arizona perspective man if they they're facing a Seahawks defense that is third worst just in our grades now the Cardinals are worst just in our grades so there should be a high scoring affair I mentioned the other day how Kyler has not had over six and a half yards per attempt in any game every game has basically looked the same short passes you don't have the last year at this time Kyler was leading the league in big time throw rate I think he finished the season number one right He's at about two two point two percent this year, and big time throw rate. Like it's just not the same explosive Cardinals offense. They got to figure out a way to do that to to flip the field through the passing game. Yeah, this you is got, the week to do it. Unless you throw it to Tariq Woolen, who's very good
1: yeah. so far. We got good. one more week without DeAndre Hopkins. Right, six week suspension. He comes back yeah. next week. So that's a big. I mean, they're still this offense is still trying to figure out how. To function with the with the playmaking threats that they have, like it just isn't. I don't think they're putting everybody in a
0: particularly good position to succeed. It's all relying on athletes right now. All right, I'm rolling with Gino. Yeah, home dogs. Give me the Seahawks. Keeping it close, maybe probably winning. I'll give them. Yeah, say they're going to win. Yep. Pull the upset against the Cardinals. Three more games. See that. Denver Broncos at. The Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers favored by four and a half. This is coming down just a little bit. Now, yeah, it was five and a half earlier. Yeah, we've got the uh, the Broncos in prime time. Why? Why? I mean why? Why are the Broncos in primetime time? Because Russell Wilson and the Broncos, that's a attract that's an attraction when you're making the schedule in May. It's not? <sighs> yeah.
1: huh? Maybe in May. It isn't now. Yeah. Happy uh happy prime time, everybody. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos are back
0: after our blockbuster showing man. it's intriguing like people we did our post game show and everybody came and watched our post game of the colts game broncos colts 12-9 worst football game people have ever seen yeah i don't want another one of those another one i'm ready we'll do the daily right after everybody can join us
1: Turns out Russell Wilson also has an injured shoulder. On top of all the misery that's that's yes. happening anyway. What's his injury? Let's see if I can relate to that one. Like I can't. I don't know what the it. specific injured shoulder is, but it's an injured shoulder. So he's having uh, the PRP though placement rich
0: plasma. Injections. What does that do,
1: Doc? What does it do? Yeah, it promotes healing by, you know, putting a bunch of. Does one of
0: the greatest healers of all time actually A bunch of
1: platelet-rich plasma back into your system. Jesus wouldn't need PRPs. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Maybe you could have done even more if you had PRP treatments. You don't know. Who knows what that would have done for the man. Might have been fighting hurt the whole time. Um, Anyway, so you've got bad situation and you've got an injured shoulder heat on top of it now. So he kind of heaped on top of it and then apparently he's been playing with this for a few weeks already. But I, my overall feeling with this is sort of how bad does this get for Denver? I mean, this is another spotlight being shined on the misery that's happening right now with the bright lights of primetime. <laughs> it's like, God. I mean, look, head coaches don't get fired six weeks into their first season. But we're getting a really, like, this is as hot as a seat can get six weeks into your first season at this point. Despite the fact that, by the way, they're... You know, they've won a couple of games already. They're two and three. Right. Yeah. Now if they it's lose just... this one again and it's miserable again, it just God, it's it's a bad
0: situation. It's just ugly how it's happening. You know, the Russ had a chance at the game winning touchdown in, in overtime, missed an open KJ Hamler underneath. KJ Hamler's upset. That's another man with PTSD,
1: Russ. You know? Yeah. Man had flashbacks of Malcolm Butler. He's like, I ain't running that.
0: Pick play, slant. Uh uh-huh. No. Not them, doing that in the goal ne- line. Never happening again. A couple big injuries for the Broncos. Left tackle Garrett Bowles is out. He Huge got hurt in that game last Thursday, leg. along with uh, Javante Williams, who's been out. So, you know, that changes the dynamic a little bit, too. They're banged up at pass rushes as well. Like,
1: yes. Randy Gregory is on IR. Baron Browning went down in that game with, an, with a wrist injury that looked like it had already been injured based off the strapping on it. He so
0: good in that game.
1: He had like 10 pressures or something yeah. off. 22, 20, like incredible
0: like, pressure also, rate. Also, credit him. Colt's offensive line was garbage pretty yeah. bad in that game, but that's something to keep an eye on if uh If Baron Browning is back and you know complimenting Bradley Chubb on the other side they can get, they can get some pressure on the chargers here yeah, they can but uh, but their pass rush situation
1: is getting tougher as these guys get injured and pick you know the the, the Broncos are missing a lot of guys, important guys. <laughs> Russell Wilson is injured, not playing well,
0: and at least one of his wide receivers already hates him all right. Russ is not playing well, I agree. Still has a couple fourth quarter comebacks,, you know, in the bag this year. He's got two of them. Granted, they're in games where they barely scored 13, 12 points, whatever it was. Yeah. I, I'm just saying there's still some of that magic in there somewhere. And you know, we're going to have Brandon Staley's decision-making, Nathaniel Hackett's decision-making. This is just going be uh, it's just going to be a great game of reactions and instant reactions and overreactions, and it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going be a lot of fun on Monday night. I don't know that that's true. Give me the Chargers at home. Yes. Look, I don't want, Look, we're six weeks into the season. At the beginning of the season, we're like, man, AFC West, baby. It's all going to be great. Everybody's going to be challenging the Chiefs, and everybody's going to be good, and the whole thing. Now we hate every team except the Chiefs. Yeah. No. I mean, the Raiders- Chargers are going to get back on track here. Denver's going to give them a good game, just like the Raiders gave the Chiefs a good game. It's still a good division. Okay. Yeah, Broncos have some have some problems, though. Yeah. They do. All right, give me the charge to cover the four and a half. <laughs> okay. I'm flipping the order here. Yeah? Yeah. All Jacksonville right. Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts. You're, Why? Just, you're just swayed by the uh, the point. Yes. The margin. Why? I can't stand when teams play each other. So, like, they're going to just finish their season series here. You would prefer if this Martin, was Colts. like two of the final five games of the season? Just split it up a little bit. It's not as bad as playing the same team every, you know, uh, two out of three weeks. Or in the pros, the I, Browns look, a couple years ago, they played the Ravens back to back games. These are two not great, uninteresting teams. I am all for getting these games out of the way in the first six weeks of the year. It's fun. Jags and Indy. Indy favored by one and a half. Colts coming off the big twelve to nine win last week against the Broncos. Big twelve nine win. Moved to two, two and one. Jags down to two and three. Of course the Jags won. It was it week two? against the Colts, one earlier in the year. That was when Trevor Lawrence ascended into the top 10 status. Trevor Lawrence's career grade against the Colts is
1: 75.8. If he only played the Colts, he'd look like a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got there.
0: Yeah. You know? the, the grade outside of that
1: is bad. It's not so good. Yeah. Really bad. But if he only plays Indy, it's it's perpetual Trevor Lawrence's turn the corner
0: season. So we're gonna be asking that
1: again this game? Yeah. I mean look that that Colts offensive line is miserable. Matt Ryan I mean Matt Ryan is done if he doesn't have a good offensive line in front of him. Um the Colts defense doesn't look great. The they've got like three guys that should be getting a decent amount of pressure, but only one of them, DeForest Buckner, is actually getting a decent amount of pressure. At which point I think Jacksonville's probably a better team.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be close. That's why it's one and a half at home. The Jags pass rush, um, which again is yeah maybe it's more at this point maybe it's more names than production outside of Josh Allen uh, Trayvon Walker remains intriguing but not effective as far as rushing the passer goes they've had they did have some success against the Colts first time around that could be the issue again Matt Ryan is not handling it well he had a couple nice throws in that game the other night but overall has not been good what's his grade under pressure so far this year oof 27.3 for Matt Ryan yikes which is 33rd of 35. Now, just below him is Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, but that's, that's regular Trevor
1: Lawrence, not Trevor Lawrence versus the Colts. That's true. You do have
0: Colts. Yeah, Colts Trevor Lawrence. Colts Trevor is much better than that. Yeah, so I think the, uh, the pressure getting to Matt Ryan is going to be part of the issue. The, the other number that stands out just so badly to me Is 29% of those pressures have become sacks with Matt Ryan. Yeah. So if the, he's like, he's become an easy target for like, he's just, he's lost a step. He's lost it a little bit age wise because anytime pressure gets there, he's been ineffective, but also just unable to avoid the rush, unable to do anything. I think Matt Ryan at this point in his career absolutely needs pristine pass protection more than other quarterbacks. That was probably true. For much of his career anyway as we saw the Falcons offensive line crumble over the last couple years Matt Ryan's production has gone so that's the part that Indy needs to figure out here and I don't know if that's moving the pocket more often more quick passes they got to do something to protect him because no big time throws eight turnover worthy plays under pressure and like I said getting sacked at an extremely high rate
1: they if they lose this game the Colts Frank Wright could be on the hot seat in terms of, like, an immediate. No. Oh, dude, Jim Irsay does not like losing to crappy teams within the division. Yeah.
0: I just don't know what you do. Colts have had a different quarterback every year for the last five years. Uh We joked about this strategy three years ago. They've kind of executed it. I don't think it's crazy that they have executed it. Right? They took some shots on some players. They just—they have an aging Matt Ryan right now. So what do you do with that? There's not much you can do. You're stuck with it. They beat the Chiefs. They did. Beat Nobody the knows why. Nobody knows how. Just beat happened. the Chiefs. How about the Jags have scored 111 points this year. Colts have scored 69. Okay. Through five weeks. A 111 to 69. Yeah. Just saying, the Jaguars are Scored a lot more points. Point differentials way in the Jaguars' favor right now. Yeah, I I think the Jags are a better team. Yeah, I'll take the Jags. Yeah, same the Jags to win. I think they win outright. Last game, another retro NFC West battle: Carolina Panthers and Los Angeles Rams from 1996 to 2001. How many years can that even? (sighs) 96 to 01, the Rams and Panthers battling twice a year. You remember? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Rams favored by 10 here. Reggie White, Panthers legend. Shout out to Les Snead. Just overall. Just give him a shout out. Oh. What's up, Les? Yeah, if you're listening. Rams by, Rams favored by 10 here. Is this a get right game <laughs> for the Rams? <laughs> so,
1: I mean, sure. The Rams offensive line has now given up 84 pressures, which leads the league. That's a lot of pressures in five weeks. Um, The Panthers are 11th in pressure rate, but guys like Brian Burns, Matt Ioannidis, they can get pressure. So it's like another one of the... It's like Dallas, right? Their only hope, really, is to win that matchup with the pass rush and put the quarterback under a ton of pressure. I feel like the same thing with the Panthers. If Brian Burns and Matt Ioannidis don't have, like,
0: dominant games, it's tough to see how they don't get waxed in this one. Yeah. That's what... I mean, they... It's another game they have to have to win there. Is we got P.J. Walker going? Yeah, Baker's a uh, bum ankle, right? P.J. season? I know you're
1: not a P.J. guy. Correct. Never have been, never will but be. But he had that, like, one half <laughs> where he looked pretty good. And if he
0: puts that together. I mean, look, that guy was better than average in the AAF. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see the Panthers scoring a lot of points. No. I could be wrong. No, I don't imagine that's going to happen. But the Rams' defense remains good. Right? They're still good. Yeah. Still good at Rams defense. And, um, yeah, I'm taking... Oh, you got the, um, Steve Wilkes taking over? Yes. For the Panthers? Interim head coach. You get the new coach bump. Sure. I'm battling against the new coach bump. P.J. Walker, on one hand, you got P.J. at quarterback. On yeah. the other hand, you get the new coach bump. Uh-huh.
1: I think the new coach bump, specifically for Carolina, is potentially a real thing. Like, the scheme has been miserable for the first five weeks of the season. Are they changing anything? I mean, they have to, right? Like, yeah, just <laughs> nothing's changed. It's just I'm in charge now. I'm taking the meetings. Uh, so if they do make some changes, I think this offense can get an awful lot better. Having said that, what you gain with schematic changes, you probably lose. I
0: mean, they didn't fire Ben McAdoo. With PJ being your Wilkes board. is a right. defensive coach. It's the
1: same scheme. Yeah, but if he's not going in there and saying, look, Ben, I, I appreciate your work, but what you've been doing is not great. Let's make some changes here.
0: The thing you're going to get, the thing sometimes you get, just like when Kenny Pickett comes in, all of a sudden George Pickens like is a part of the team, you might get some of that, right? You, you might just get, hey, PJ is going to force it to DJ more or you know, just get it to the receivers more or something. I don't know. There just could be. Because, again, on paper, the playmakers, they're not trash here. Sure, they're good, in fact. So you might get that bump. The The backup quarterback is going to get other people involved bump. Or the fact that P.J. Walker is probably not going to play, oh, I don't know, 51 PFF grade football like Baker Mayfield did. Isn't he? I mean, in a one-game sample, he might not.
1: In so, Mark, so your sample. hope in here is that is that P.J. essentially just, <laughs> just happens to play better than he is. That, that would be the hope
0: so yeah, if, you're, okay. if you're betting the Panthers I here. I see. I, get you. I got you. that. The, the time that he gave the glim, uh, glimpse of hope that he does that.
1: Yeah. Sure. I That would be, <laughs> like, that is your hope. Absolutely. Did he move to
0: P.J.? Did we? He's Phillip now? <sighs> he went he was to PJ? P.J. And then he went back. All right, like limited we, career sample. We got it's a 57. like Mitchell and Mitch, you know? <clears throat> I just want to say, the two years we've seen Phillip P.J. Walker, 56.8 grade and a 52 grade, which is better than the 51 Baker Mayfield has trotted out there this season. So a lot of the times when you're looking at these
1: quarterbacks, you know, long-time backups that come in, you're looking at preseason, you know? Has he shown well in preseason? Is there any indication here that we're going to see something good based off preseason? No. No. PJ's preseason grades at PFF over the years, since 2017, 28, 59, 53, 64, career high, 49. Not a lot to be excited about for PJ. He's, He's a gamer. But. He's a regular season gamer. But you're like, what about, um... What about the AAF? It's the AAF. Group. He was carving it up at the AAF. Uh, except he wasn't, really. The numbers were okay, but P.J.
0: Oh, did we just go full well? Actually, P.J. Walker wasn't that good in the AAF. Correct.
1: Uh, was it the AAF? Maybe it's the XFL. One of those leagues that he was in that didn't last very long. Just click the other league. Let's get there. I've clicked it. I can't find it. I get the Rams covering the 10, by yeah, the way. I think so,
0: too. It might not have been the, uh, the AAF. Which stupid league was he in? You've got uh, Brady Christensen at left guard. I liked Brady coming out. There he is. This is the XFL, the old one. So we have like a 72. He had 15 touchdowns, which led the
1: league. He also had the second best passer rating in the league at 104, but he was fourth in PFF grading with a passing grade of 69, Ooh, which was behind. Got inflated by the scheme there in the XFL. Exactly, which was behind great players, such as Luis Perez, Josh Johnson on his 78th team, uh, Jordan Tamu, and then PJ. All
0: right, so there you go. Um, if I was Brady Christensen sitting on a nice 65 grade, starting to turn that career around, I might have that um, Aaron Donalditis this week. You're know, like, ah, I just got like going, I got that one week yeah. sickness. Get that one week. I might need to sit this one out. This just, could be another. This could be one of those ten pressure games. Yes, is what I'm saying.
1: One last uh, just PJ Nugget for the XFL. His passing grade was sandwiched between Cardale Jones. And Quentin Flowers, Oh wow. who was a running back in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some people really liked him as a quarterback. They did. Yeah. I, but
0: but not the NFL. Yes. The NFL didn't. They moved him to running back. However, you know, he was a quarterback in college.
1: I'm just saying, when your, your career calling card is that you were marginally better than a guy the NFL thought was a
0: running back, yeah. it's not great. Got it. Got the Rams here. Stafford's going to have his best game of the year. I mean, I don't know. it could be low scoring if the Panthers' defense is pretty good. I just think, I think the Rams will get some turnovers, some small, you know, short fields, that type of thing. They I also think, just fired yeah. their defensive coordinator, so that doesn't help. True. He was doing a good job there. Phil Smith. Yeah. Spain. Yep. So they'll run the same scheme, though.
1: Sure, yeah. I'm working. just saying that you know, firing your defensive coach is not exactly a great start to a
0: game you want to have a good defensive performance in. All right. Both taking the Rams here, covering the Damn. 10. Did you miss any games? Maybe. Anybody miss any games? It's tough when there's so. buys. There, I
1: think there are 14 games in the spreadsheet, and I think there are 14 games this week. So we'll assume
0: that they're the correct ones. All right. So there you go. That's our week with the PFF NFL podcast. Five hours of greatness. Appreciate everybody for tuning in, previewing week six with us. Shout out to Viore, Symbol, Western and Southern, and of course the PFF app for yeah, being yeah. here. For bakery, bakery for
1: awesome cookies. For, did you get me anything today? No. Huh. I, well, so I did... But I went upstairs. But you ate it. No, I didn't eat it. Somebody else ate it. I went upstairs, and, and poor old Blinz, <laughs> he was looking like a beaten man. I thought he needed a cookie.
0: So I gave him your cookie. B. Yeah. Oh, he works hard up there, man. Right. So I gave him your cookie. No, I appreciate You know what? I, I'm glad you did it. Ben Lindsay deserves, he deserves the cookie. He deserves cookies. The kid works hard, and he uh, does a really great job. Absolutely. And he'll be, um, you won't see him tonight. But he'll be there. That's true. He's uh, helping out Kirk Curb Street and Al Michaels. A big part of those broadcasts. I think his job is to feed the spread to Al. Like live game... Updates out those. you don't need to feed the spread to Al. The man yeah. that man I mean, as he gets older, maybe you know,
1: you just need reminders. You know the, the kind of the PFF green line graph where it shows you where the line has moved over the week.
0: He's got that out no no, it's yeah. just in his head. Yeah, He yeah. like just gotcha. visualizes that at all times. Don't forget to uh, smash the thumbs up button. And of course, next week it's uh, I think it's Saints Cardinals Thursday Night Football. I want to get Sean Payton. Can we get Sean Payton on here? I'm just gonna like shout out the You're big me for. It. I don't know, like somebody just tell Sean Payton he needs to join our podcast. You do that. Somebody has just emailed us some suggestions, and they're good ones. Okay. So we'll uh, we'll look into that. Sean Payton, Zach Streif, local guy, Better. former Saint, Jonathan Vilma. We'll see. Figure it out. We'll try to get Sean Payton on here, though. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you again on Monday, reviewing all the Week 6 NFL action.